Hello, welcome back to the Book of Medora. It's me, your host, Crystal. With me, as always, is Monica. Hello. And Cameron. Hi. We're going to Gerudo Town this episode. We sure are. This is a weird order. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes you want to talk about things out of order. Cameron, tell me why you wanted to do Gerudo Town first. Well, there's a couple of reasons. You know, I actually um, enjoy uh, Gerudo, the Gerudo Desert as a region. There's lots of neat things there to talk about. There's lots of history. I think that we've covered most of the history because of the way that you two chose to structure this podcast. Look at what Mochi is doing. He's got his whole head shoved in that hole in the carpet. Would you, would you grab him real quick? Yep. One second. Okay. Um, the other thing is that, wow, we might have to put a plate over that for now. But uh, the other thing is that I think that the way that the Gerudo have been handled in the Breath of the Wild duology is also um, disappointing, and that disappointment continues in Tears of the Kingdom. So there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of meat on this bone. I'd say that there's a lot of meat on this bone. It's probably like the heaviest uh, single region to talk about. Out. Yeah, yeah. I would go so far as to say that there's there's a lot here. But at the same time could be heavier, considering the whole Ganondorf situation. Considering that Ganondorf is from the desert, there there could be more to talk about. There could be things to talk about with regards to the uh, culture that produced Ganondorf and how it deals with the fact that it's produced Ganondorf and like the structures that produced Ganondorf, like what's Twin Rova's deal? No one knows because they're not interested in telling that part of the story. Are we talking about things we hoped could have happened, or...? Um, there's meat on the bone of the Gerudo region, uh-huh. but there could be more meat. Yes. I. How do you feel about it, Crystal? Well, let me ask you this. Let's say you're a new, a six-year-old, brand-new Zelda player. You don't know anything oh, yeah. about Zelda. I, I love new things. If you did not do the memories before going to Gerudo Town, would you be aware that Ganondorf is a Gerudo? Um, no. That's crazy. I haven't, I haven't got the, um, I, I haven't got the perspective necessary to recognize his clothes and jewelry as Gerudo. Um, he's a big zombie man, so I wouldn't relate him to the giant women who come from the desert. We could think about how we're entering the desert and right at the northern area where some people might have come about things, is that dragon's tear with Ganondorf kneeling, which is in view of the entire desert, which I find a little mortifying, uh, that does go into him being the king of the Gerudo. Sure, but when you first get to Gerudo Desert, that isn't necessarily the first thing that you see. No. I'm a six-year-old. No, depending I'm take- on where, I'm a six-year-old. when you came. I'm taking the road. Okay. Because I'm six or ten, as it were. Crystal, what? How, do you feel that we should be having more indications that Ganondorf is Gerudo? I feel like he should obviously be like a major element of the story, but it just bizarrely is not. It's like do, it's like a, a fun bit of trivia that he was king of the Gerudo, but doesn't matter at all to the Gerudo storyline. Yeah, that's true. It's like it's complete. The the culture is so identical to yet pretending to be completely separated from the culture of the Gerudo as depicted in the past. So they have entirely removed men from their consideration. They don't even consider Ganondorf a Gerudo. 
I guess they don't even know about him. Nobody really knows about Ganondorf right now. Right. Coming back. Yeah, that's true. That's true, yeah. I suppose it would have been interesting if he did make himself a little bit more known and a little bit more fleshy before this, and then made an overture to try to lead this area again, question mark? Everyone's thinking quietly. Yeah, I would have maybe at least expected that he'd have some sort of more sophisticated plan for the Gerudo than summoning a big bug. Yeah, I would have assumed the same, that there would be something to it. I guess on some level, I'm just still mad that they are treating uh, the Gerudo like uh, 1001 Arabian Nights-ass version of the Amazons. They're exotified along every metric possible while still keeping certain visual indicators of real-world people. So it just reads as deeply, deeply racist. I think it's disappointing that there's no connection or discussion about Ganondorf, and they kind of wrote wrote themselves into a hole on that front. They did not. They could have written around this pretty easy. No, they could have. They could have, in several ways, avoided or or made it more interesting in this area, but but they did not. (laughs) Crystal, what would your ideal version of this be like? Like, would we still have a Gerudo king, or at least... Would there be a Gerudo man and it's like it actually deals with it and he's carrying the um, legacy of Ganondorf on his shoulders even though he hasn't done anything in particular? I mean, I guess my ideal version of this would be some sort of conflict between Riju as the current chief and Ganondorf trying to like assert his title as the king. Yeah. Oh, you'd get a civil war amongst the Gerudo. Some dissenters and so on. Because... I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, each of us came into this thinking, well, maybe Ganondorf is going to have a soft spot for the Gerudo. I absolutely thought that. He occasionally uses them as his excuse for different actions. Did you think maybe that, Crystal? I thought maybe that, yeah. That a civil war would have been much more interesting. Or even him just treating them like you get to Gerudo Town and everything's fucking fine. Yeah, nothing's wrong. We're all fine. That's weird. But now there's new banners hanging outside of it. And where's Riju? <laughs> what else? Yeah, I guess it could have been aligned with the plot of Riju trying to become competent at killing the Gibdo, which I think we need to have a conversation about that when it comes up. I mean, we still have it. She's pretty good at it. Sh- she can't aim her lightning. Okay, yeah. Well, she, yeah. And then maybe somebody shows up who's very good at removing the, gru- the Gibdo. Yeah removing the Gerudo. That's a that's a Twilight Princess timeline. Don't worry about that one. <laughs> Crystal, how do you feel about the way the Gerudo are, like, n- not what they could have been, but the way they're depicted in this one? Before we actually get to the events of it, I want to know, like, I, I, I feel like there was conversations we had about the Gerudo in the multiple Breath of the Wild episodes, right? Yes. Weird uh exotified amazonians uh vo and you basically encapsulating their entire culture yes and how do you feel about the fact that they kind of doubled down on that in this one it doesn't feel great uh i didn't really expect them to to fix the gerudo because they're kind of too deeply entrenched for that it's too built in the character for this uh but, but go on, go set on. Of games. They're really yeah. just hitting all the same beats, but even more now. You have a whole side quest about 
about boyfriend school, how to get a boyfriend school. <laughs> the only class they teach in school. That is the only class they teach. I I want to like the Gerudo. Like there's characters in the Gerudo that I like so much, but Shall we trek to Gerudo Town? Crystal, Shall I how, walk how through did, the path? How did you enter how did you enter the Gerudo region? Oh, well I went to the nearest tower just outside the canyon. Then I glided up to one of the plateaus. Then I glided up to the oasis. Then I went up high there and checked out where Gerudo Town was, made a mental note of it, and just walked straight there. Yeah, I, I did something pretty similar. How about you, Monica? Yep, pretty much. I, I Did I take the curving path? I probably did, actually. The Gerudo Canyon Path Inn was pretty interesting. I liked how it was flooded with water, and it was sort of this nice... It was a nice, cool area, and you didn't have to take heat protection on your way in. So I liked that nice roundabout route. I think that I actually went in by the basic road and yeah. rode across the desert. That's what I mean. I know, I know. And made it to the Car Car Bazaar. And I remember a conversation there, because there's the band of traders from Breath of the Wild is still trying to get into Gerudo Town, and they think that they'll be able to... Uh, gain entry if they prove themselves useful, right? That's their whole deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then one of the guards mentioned it's like, we've told them this many times, but you can't actually gain entry to Gerudo Town. Even the chief isn't able to just grant you entry. The law is ironclad. And I make a note of that going, huh, going to be interesting to see how they handle you managing to get into Gerudo Town. And then I go to Gerudo Town, and it's like, no, actually, the chief did make a special exception, and that's fine. Yeah, they specifically don't say anything about the chief not being able to make an exception, actually. They say ironclad. You cannot (laughs) be allowed in. That assumedly includes the chief. The chief cannot change the law. I'm pretty sure they say that. No, they don't. Okay. I was just watching this. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> they might say it in Breath of the Wild. They don't say that it's ironclad, though? No. I could swear. Nothing about Riju not being able to change the law. Oh, okay. you you watched all the conversations? Up to the the temple, yes. Wow. How did you watch that many so fast? You were only on it's there It's called like the fast-forward button on YouTube. God damn. Well, in any case, the conversation surrounding how those guys can't just work their way into it created the expectation that we'd need some kind of other thing for Link. Not like a weird transphobia like we did in the last game, but like something. And they totally then, got rid of Villa. They did. Villa is nowhere in the game. I'm glad. One of the I think. few non-return. They could have done Villa good. They could have done Villa good. But I think that Nintendo's response to this was a god-awful depiction and problematic everywhere was just it never happened i don't know if that's good it's nintendo it is very nintendo it is very nintendo i don't think it was the best approach but i don't know you think they could have done it even fucking worse that's the thing in any case um i i guess ultimately as much as it makes sense on a certain level like as somebody who's just reading the text without reading any intention behind it, it's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that Link would get in there. He saved the town multiple times. But on the other hand, it's like, I don't know, it's just sort of disappointing and stupid. I don't know. I liked the fact that you could just enter the town. Like, when I finished the stuff at Car Car Bazaar and I just chomped over to the city, to the town, I was fully prepared to have to do some sneaking, some dodging, something, and I just glided in, and it was all destroyed. And that was awesome. And I saw a corpse on the ground. It wasn't a corpse, but 
it was it was a great entryway and i like that they were just like okay link is just a special exception it's something we talked about in breath of the wild you know wouldn't you make an exception for the hero <laughs> you know th- this game very specifically doesn't we've already talked about the eight heroines yes yeah th- well that's completely mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. uh-huh but for link <laughs> that was link that was link that was a link yes in this time they didn't realize the implication about the eighth heroine i'm not accepting any i don't know crystal universe. what do you think the thing i was expecting is that link would need to just barely keep up appearances like everyone would know that it's link but as long as he pretends then everyone can look the other way it's like if you look while you're in here you're vi and it's fine but you have to at least make an effort like, i also expected that to be perfectly honest link is very femme coded in many ways yeah is that what you mean like just he walks around everyone's like Girl. hello um well i mean like you you probably still need to do some kind of appearance thing but regardless I don't know. like is that it may it would make more sense for them to treat link as vi than to just go like ah get in here I, I don't know if I want another, like, dress-up sequence necessarily. Oh, no, I'm not looking for necessarily for a dress-up sequence, but there are ways to also do but that. Link just walking around. Another element to this that got me is that when I got into the city, how did you find walking in and it just being full of, of sand and zombies, Crystal? Like, I thought that part was pretty cool. Yeah, this was actually my favorite town in the game. I think it's a nice little dense space. Where you can, like, walk five feet and there will be five side quests there. And it's changed so substantially from Breath of the Wild, at least initially. It definitely feels the most different of the locations. Like, Zora's Domain is basically unchanged except for the addition of Mipha's Court. The Goron City is almost identical. Um, Rito Village has changed quite a bit until you get past the dungeon, at which point it's the same again. But Gerudo Town has a whole new underground market added to it they took advantage of our our nostalgia for certain things in breath of the wild and i think this is where they applied it the best hey the creeposaurus rex is back that's just that's right the creep is back king of the creeps (laughs) bozai bozai is back and um you know you know i remember breath of the wild where it's like you could land anywhere in gerudo town and those guards would be on your ass but bozai actually stays within the walls of gerudo town throughout the entire game may he die there on the roofs (laughs) he's convinced that like everyone has died firstly and then i think even afterwards he still thinks that does he still think that people are ghosts he thinks he's hearing ghosts inside of the um he thinks he's hearing ghosts inside of the secret shop. He does not think that the rest of the town has died. Okay. He's just going to stay up there. Listening to the ghosts. I Until guess. he starves. It's, it's, just, it's, it's probably it, less it's trouble just to let him starve than to keep throwing him out. That's true. But also they have um, Vo Jail in this one. <laughs> That's right. They do imprison a man. They do. For trying to break in and see his wife and daughter. There is no conclusion to this story for him. Yeah, he's just an NPC who stays in jail. He's kind of happy, I guess. No, he's not. He can't really call out to his daughter. He's just in prison. (laughs) And then when everybody goes back to the surface, he's still stuck below. Yes. And his wife doesn't know he's there. Nope. But occasionally he can catch a quick glimpse of his daughter. Uh Uh-huh. And that's that's what he's there for. That's what it's all about. Crystal, did you expect to break him out of jail or something? 
I did expect he would eventually get out of jail, but I think it's really funny that he just stays in there forever. <laughs> He's just imprisoned. No questions asked. Just stay there. I I really did expect a side quest. I I expected to tell his wife where he was. Yes, yes. I didn't expect to break him out, but I wouldn't say that the side quest was just wholly missing. There's a contingent of people online who seem to think that the desert is very unfinished, but no, no I think the, this is the degree of finish that they wanted for everything here. Their intent was fully realized. I think. Do you get a sense of being unfinished, Crystal? No, I would say this is one of the most finished areas. <laughs> yeah, this is, if they read paucity here, then it has to be designed paucity. I will say that I actually went into the town after finding Riju outside. Oh, I because did not. I, saw the, I heard the lightning and I looked around and then I saw lightning flashes and I went, oh, oh my God, it's our girl. And then I flew over there and I found her. You can see lightning from a distance? Yeah, she, she's inside of the little storm cloud, and there's flashes of lightning, which is oh, what drew cute. me over to where she is. I was really happy seeing Riju starting to use lightning powers on her own. I don't know why. It was just like she grew up a little bit. How old is she now? Like 15? How old was she before? I mean, she doesn't visibly grow much between the two. Isn't she about as tall as Link now? Or taller, even? She might be the same size as Link, when before she was a little bit smaller. Maybe she went from like 10 to 15? No, it's been 6 years. 10 to 16? 9 to 15? How young was she in Breath of the Wild? God I damn. I how she looks like in Breath of the Wild. I would guess she that she's hair. about 12 in Breath of the Wild. That's how you read her? Yeah. I like her short hair thing. Yeah, her design is great. Oh yeah. I found it immensely confusing that they got rid of the Thunder Helm, every mention of it, and yep. then gave it to you through the Yiga. Hey, you know what seems like it would be real useful for a young woman who's trying to marshal her lightning powers? The Thunder Helm? What? The Thunder Helm, motherfucker. <laughs> That's Does just... that channel? <laughs> Go ahead. Just one more clue for why this is an alternate universe from Breath of the Wild. Oh, okay. Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I mean, did you end up getting the lightning helm? No, I didn't find it. Okay, the lightning helm is held by the Yiga, and it was made by a Yiga craftsman using the same materials as the Thunder Helm, but in the process of building it, he was electrocuted too much and slowly died. Oh my god. A whole bunch of people tried to get it working and all died in the experimentation this was some metroid prime shit yes it genuine these are the space pirates but i think they specifically built that to mirror the thunder helm so the thunder helm still exists canonically it just never comes up for some reason oh it does come up and that um i believe that buliara says that you have the sword shield of herbosa now but you can't get the thunder helm something like that okay but Maybe. but Riju. <laughs> yeah Riju should be having the Riju should be having the thunder helm how did you find Riju's power crystal it's it was a little fiddly i sometimes had trouble aiming at the gibdo queens to like actually hit them and not right. just barely miss them yeah she moves fast she does move it's hard to call her even if you whistle it takes her a second to get over to you oh and Riju doesn't move that fast Yes. Oh, yes. I meant the Gibdo Queen. Sorry, sorry. Um, I think it's a pretty mad busted power 
I didn't like that I had to fire an arrow with it, but I I was granted like 800 arrows. So at the same time, I'll forgive you, Tears of the Kingdom. So you find Riju out in the desert and she teaches you how to aim her lightning by shooting an arrow at something and she'll just blow it to fucking smithereens. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, listen, I'm I'm learning to use this because the monsters invading our town, which is why the town is all fucking tore up, uh, don't take damage unless they're hit with elemental damage first. You have to get them wet or frozen or on fire or electrified. This is still a theory at this point. Yes, it's strictly a theory. But she feels that the power of her ancestors, which is, I guess, Urbosa's power, will work. And th- and they all get attacked. Karakar is the first area to get under attack. That's and right. yes. some messenger runs up to you too. And I thought that was a really cool sequence. Crystal, how did you feel about the zombie attack sequences? The thing about my experience with Breath of the Wild is that I did not receive 800 arrows. I felt like I was always having to scrounge for more arrows and really having to ration them and make sure I always get headshots. That's very true. So this was kind of fun because it was a game of trying to kill all these guys with like eight arrows. (laughs) Now see, it's funny to me. Because in Tears of the Kingdom, I would every time I went by an enemy camp, I'd obliterate them. And they give you arrows. And they just give you arrows. They drop so many arrows. And But I find this fascinating because this is Nintendo trying to get the balance right so that there's a sufficient amount of arrows, but it seems like Cameron's on one end and then Crystal's on the other. I finished with over 900 arrows. <laughs> I finished the game with over 900 arrows. I had almost 1,000 by the time I got to the Gerudo Desert. It would have made it a lot more interestingly challenging. But how did you find it as like a set piece, Crystal? Because I don't think Breath of the Wild ever really tried to do anything like this. Yeah, it is pretty fun as an action set piece. I like whenever there's a level in a game where you just have to fight a big onslaught. This almost felt like uh, Hyrule Warriors. Yeah, it did sort of have that feeling. Yes, especially when you get to Gerudo Town and you have to build the, the fortifications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or... Do a Dota? Is that a Dota sort of game? Oh, a tower defense? Yes. It's a little bit like a tower defense, I guess. I was expecting that to be a lot tougher for how much build-up there was for it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, some people have pretty good difficulty with it. Did you assign the people to the right places, Crystal? Are there wrong places? I think there's bad setups there's or maybe there's like less optimal and more optimal like you want to pair the spear users with the uh fortifications because they can reach past the fortifications with their spears right yeah that's what i did which means yeah you probably want to put the cannoneers with the or the cannon with the sword people yep that makes sense and then there's one that's just you (laughs) it's just link yep but there is some dialogue that seems to imply that there is a, a better uh, way to put it and then a worse way to put it. I think if you screw up too, that the cannoneer might accidentally shoot some. I don't know. Oh, you got shot by the cannoneer multiple times. Well, I think she was intending to aim for me. My setup was cannoneer on the front gate. Yeah, uh, Spearman on the left, mm-hmm. swords on the right, fortifications on the front gate. And mm. no Gibdos got inside. Wow. Gibdos got inside for me. Actually. Oh, yeah. They made it all the way to Riju. <laughs> uh, when they started to get up and run, I... Panic. Was not happy. It was... Monica hates two things. It is things that look like corpses suddenly standing up. 
and things that are slow suddenly moving really fast oh, and no. also things and also <laughs> things that look like people suddenly moving like they're not people and also bugs yes those are the two things that monica hates i really hate bugs and um i love mushrooms but looking at the spores of mushrooms and the underneath being holes and the gibdos dropping through that's it was deeply grossifying to monica that's awful. It's like, you know that feeling wherein you look at something like that and you can feel your scalp prickle? No, I don't, that I don't get that, but that sounds awful. It was watching... Cryptophobia? Something like that. Holesphobia. Watching Monica play it, she was just viscerally uncomfortable during those entire sequences. Ew. I do like fighting Gibdos in some respect in that they're, you have to you have to use an elemental something. And when you do, they're very easy to kill. I liked that. Right. And the flying ones are disgusting, too. Ugh. Oh, she hates them so much. I killed every one of them at range until a lot later in the game. She also had something like 800 arrows and may have capped out at one point. But and when the Gibdos got introduced, she hovered about two or 300 lower than that the entire time. Yeah. They all got to go. I threw fruits at them, mostly. <laughs> with my bare the hands. The fruit method. <laughs> Is fantastic. Bare hand fruit throwing. It's almost like you were a kind of fruit ninja. Yeah, like some kind of fruit ninja. <laughs> Remember fruit ninja? That game's for boomers. I can't even picture it in my head. I can't either. I'm I never played it. it. Oh, right. Yeah. Fruit ninja. Slice the fruit. Classic game. Slice it. With your tablet. That's from 2010. That's 13 fucking years ago. They made a VR wow. game. That could be fun. Yeah, I would probably enjoy it in VR. Well, that would be like the... The Metal Gear Revengeance yeah. watermelon slicing. Yes. Cut and take. I thought you were going to compare it to Beat Saber. No. No, it's MGSR. Yes. It's just MGR. Thank you. MGR? Okay. There's no solid in it because uh, Solid Snake isn't a character. Okay. Thank you. Some call it, it Metal Gur. It's Metal Gur. It's Mgur. Um, I think that the addition of the preteen model really helped the group there were a whole bunch of kids running around oh yeah yeah the the one of the things that tears of the kingdom does is introduce like a teenager model for a lot of the peoples like we get teenagers for uh do we get them for the rito or is it just for highly get them for the rito the cass's kids are all teens now yeah okay we get them for the rito we get them for the gerudo we get them for the hylians I don't think we get them for the Zoroarchorans, but it, it adds a lot of variety. And now there's a, it, there isn't just like jump from little baby to full grown eight foot tall adult woman in Gerudo Town. And they're all learning slang. I think it's funny that the 12 year old Gerudo are the same height as Link. Yes, that's innately hilarious. That was really funny. Uh, the two parts where it came up for me was when you're trying to sneak in trying to sneak in again when you're trying to get into the sanctuary if See, you go to the front door the guard there goes like there's a guy here but he's too short he's he can't even see through the peepholes if he stands on his tiptoes so it's fine yeah i'm wondering if the gerudo who don't know about link and nobody knows about link as we know mm -hmm. i don't know if they'd even necessarily recognize him as an adult man like, maybe that's why he can get a pass, is because he's non-threatening. 
it would be really funny if another way they could have done it that would be very funny is if all the Gerudo just te- treat him as a kid. Yes. He is effectively, I guess, kid-sized. He's like 25 at this point. That could have story. led to something weird, too. I don't know. Maybe no, I think don't it would have be fu- the, all these weird gender things around the Gerudo. Yeah. But you'd have to like walk back at least to 20... When was Breath of the Wild? 2017. 2017, if not further. But what if we just stuff more weirdness in there until it all balances out? Like How Mr. Much- Burns. <laughs> Just just more and more gender until no more gender can fit in here. There is a route through that, too, but I don't think Nintendo is the company to successfully do that. No. To they, gender it so much, it comes out the other end. They've got to have their thousand but on nights. I do believe it would have been possible for someone else. Yes, absolutely. Maybe let more women write for the Gerudo to start. Yeah. You know, there's a possibility. Anyway, you save Car Car Bazaar, and then you defend. Uh, then there's a big attack by the Gibdo on Gerudo Town, and you have to defend our girl Riju while she's blasting everyone with lightning. Ganondorf sure wanted to wipe out the city, or do we think that it's Phantom Ganon? This is genocide, and I think that it's probably Ganondorf. You think it's because, Phantom Ganon, Monica? Yeah, because when you finish defending Karakar Bazaar, uh, you actually see a mysterious Zelda walk towards the the Grudo town and like giant tornadoes start to form. And they're like, oh no, the city. And also, why is Zelda doing this or, or around this? So it's Phantom Ganon at the very least. Who do you think is responsible for trying to wipe out the Gerudo down to the last woman, Crystal? It does seem like generally Phantom Ganon is the one doing the day-to-day evil operations and Demon King Ganon is mostly just sitting in his bath. <laughs> I think maybe the Demon King gave like one order to his puppet, like, uh, fuck him up, kid. <laughs> and then Phantom Ganon took the initiative on everything else. And we think that, do we think that Phantom Ganon was intelligent enough so that he should have paused and gone like, hey boss, uh, do you also mean this towards the Grudo? Or do we think that it's just sort of like a, you know, a, a robot beep boop, okay, destroy everybody. I'm very curious to hear your two's takes on this, actually. I mean, at the end of the last war, he was already fighting the Gerudo. So he had crossed yes. that bridge. And from his perspective, he just woke up from that. So he hasn't really had time to change his mind. So the war is still ongoing. For yes. Him. Yes. Yes. Which means that he's just continuing the campaign by which the last free Gerudo city had fallen. That's right. I really would have just had him sort of assess, though, like the free Gerudo implies there's troops of Gerudo that were loyal to Ganondorf. Absolutely. Right. Are there any right now? Can I right now, you know, bring back any to my side? Where's and- Twin Rova? <laughs> Yeah, where's my mom's? And, you know, like, are you just going to rule over monsters? They're not very interesting. Yeah, I guess, I guess on, I guess it comes down to, do you, you can, there's a certain pathos to Ganondorf deciding to kill the Gerudo. And the question is, do you ascribe the pathos of this sequence to the Demon King or to Phantom Ganon? To Phantom Ganon. How about you, Monica? It's Phantom Ganon. Okay, that's really interesting because the monster, which is the 
Queen Gibdo yes. is created from the power of the Demon King. Yes. Now, do we think that Demon King Ganondorf is behind the Queen Gibdo, or is that also a creation of Phantom Ganon? I think it's a creation of Ganondorf, and I think there is actually a line about him enabling each of these. I'm not absolutely sure on that. I believe that there is, but Crystal, what do you think? Um, I think the puppet can probably wield the power of the Demon King in a limited way. Mm-hmm. And that's how that's how he fights you, right? That's true. So why couldn't he summon Queen Gibdo? Would you suggest that Ganondorf's too busy having his soak? Yeah, I think he's a very hands-off boss. He delegates. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then he looks up and he's like, wait, I did not mean <laughs> inclusive of these people. He probably did. He probably did. But uh, um, even with the Gibdo Queen, though, she causes the Sand Shroud. The Sand Shroud on its own is just an inconvenience to the Grudo. I mean, kind of. Ignoring the zombie bugs. That, the zombie bugs are an innate part of it because she lives in the sand shroud. She reproduces in the sand shroud. Yeah, but she could just, like, theoretically just cause the sand to kick up everywhere and not send the, the buggy zombies everywhere. Hey, what do we make of the fact that there's just this big Zonai mural but directly beneath Gerudo Town? Clearly Zonai must have lived here at some point. My theory about that is that this is the last free town of the Gerudo. And after Gandorf's defeat, it was made into the central town. So that mural was put there by the Sage of Thunder in yes. her time. Yes. In the fashion of the Zonai, I don't know if the Zonai were there or not. It, it's just interesting to me that beneath Gerudo Town, there's this mural from 100 million billion years ago. Like a billion, yes. And... We, we we lose murals and artifacts on much smaller timelines in the Zelda series. It's also written, it's written from the Gerudo perspective, and Riju can read it. Yeah, she, I think they kind of forgot about wait, that. Wait, she can read ancient Gerudo? Yes. She can, I mean, I guess it makes sense as part of her, she can read like pre-Ocarina of Time era Gerudo? She knew what was on the mural. Hey, Crystal, what do you make of the fact that Kotake and Koame's names are written in Ocarina of Time era highly. On Gandalf's weapons. On Gandalf's weapons and on their scarves in the 10 billion years ago. Well, it must be that that language uh, was written in Hylian. Does that mean that uh, Ocarina of Time era Hylian is derived from ancient Gerudo? Or does he just think Hylian is cool? He's like a guy with a kanji tattoo. Oh my god, that's why he walks around looking like a samurai. <laughs> but Hylians oh no. don't look like samurais. Right, but Hylian as a language is just Japanese. That's true. So you're saying Ganondorf is a weeb. Ganondorf is a Japanophile. This Ganondorf, anyway. Demon King Ganondorf. I lost my train of thought. Good. We can move on. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> I, I, hold on. Gotta dial it back from Ganondorf is, is a nerd. Anyway, Crystal, um, where were we? We've defended Gerudo Village, and now it is time to open the way to a temple which is not the Arbiter's Grounds. It's super not the Arbiter's Grounds, and that's uh, that's egg on my face. I thought it might be the Arbiter's Grounds. I was wrong. 
some mysterious voice is calling to read you, and Link can hear it too. Link can hear it too. What does that mean? Why can Link hear this mysterious voice? We don't know. What do you think, Crystal? Why can he hear it? He's got special ears. He can see Koroks. <laughs> that is true, actually. He can see Koroks. Zelda told all the sages about Link and how cool he was. It's like, once you once y'all meet my boyfriend, you don't even know. You don't even know. So when you call to your blood descendants from a billion years in the future, just call to him too. He'll be there. But also he can hear hear and see Koroks, so he might just be able to hear them anyway. I guess so, yeah. sensitive. Okay, Monica, you've got some notes. Where are we going? Uh, sure. Just a second as I check through my notes. Monica made a lot of notes. I made a lot of random notes just about the area and such. Like stuff like they brought the Hylia statue into the sanctuary, which... I right. think it's pretty significant because it used to be in the very outskirts of town. Oh, yeah. That means that there was a resurgence of Hylia worship. That With was... Zelda's reemergence in Breath of the Wild, I'm th- I think that's that's why. Sorry, Crystal, I interrupted you. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, that Hylia did come down and destroyed Calamity Ganon. So probably Hylia worship has increased. Hmm. I feel like that's sort of sad for the Gerudo, though, because they were in the middle of, like, a cultural renaissance and rediscovering their own old gods. Yeah, that's why I'm always saying Hyrule is evil. (laughs) I mean, like, it's not Hyrule being evil. I think that it's, like, the writing just being that way. Well, looking between the lines, like, the Gerudo really getting into discovering worship of their ancestors or admiration of their ancestors the seven the veneration of the seven yes and that got complicated too although that text was already in breath is that complicated they needed a hylian guide to tell them how okay yeah that's kind of complicated they could have explained that any other way yeah they could have but i i'm starting to think it's less that hyrule is evil crystal and that the writing is evil you got to worship Amaterasu. Oh, so you start from uh, the throne and you look out into the desert and basically you have to go around and light up lighthouses or little beacons and they form a triangle and the triangle is golden and magical and in the center of the triangle appears another electric shock thingy. But this sequence is entirely like the uh, Wind Waker goddess statues including the pan up when you connect all of them and the the golden light triangle that that flashes. Did you get that Tower of the Gods feeling, Crystal? Yeah, I did thought that it reminded me of something, the Tower of the Gods. How do you feel about the fact that this is maybe the only explicit Triforce imagery we ever get? Would you call this Triforce imagery? No. But I mean it's a triangle and that's not an accident. And it's golden. And it is golden. That's not an accident. Hmm, it is a golden triangle. It is a golden triangle. Are there any other golden triangles? There are no other golden triangles. There's only the one? Yeah, at least that I'm aware of. I mean, there's the golden triangles that cover the uniforms of the Zonai priests. That's like seven to nine golden triangles. And there are the golden triangles that are in the tattoo work of the priestess of the goddess. But I think that's about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Is veneration of the Triforce completely lost in this era? It's been obliterated. Obliterated? Yes. Do you mean the veneration or the Triforce? The veneration. Okay. 
Yeah, I don't I know a better word to describe it than obliterated. It seems <laughs> gone completely. You can't lust after the Triforce if you don't know there's a Triforce. You know, that feels a lot like the backstory to Ocarina of Time, where you keep the Triforce hidden and then people find out about it and there's suddenly a problem. Yes, but they even removed it from the recollection of pretty much all of the royal family. Yeah, and then you've got to get your secret core of Hylia worshippers to go out and mass murder everyone who knows anything about the Triforce. Uh Uh-huh. And the problem with this is if the line of queens gets interrupted, you're a little bit fucked. Yes, that is true. So we go to the spirit temple. Well, you raise the spirit temple from the underground. Was this in the depths? No. It doesn't it must seem have been deep in, enough to be in the depths. It, it must have been embedded in the crust between the surface and the depths. Okay. Like it's somewhere in the ceiling of the depths. And when it raises up, there's a bunch of mushrooms around it, and the entrance is also sealed off by the Gibdo Queen. And when you shoot, the entrance opens, out pops the Gibdo Queen. She's here to fight you. You get a preview boss fight, which I thought was actually really cool. Crystal, did you think you could beat the boss just right then and there? I was kind of expecting to beat the boss and have a different boss inside. Yes. I was a little disappointed when she flew away. <laughs> I somehow thought that you would just beat the boss and then you'd go through the entire temple and there wouldn't be a boss at the end for That'd some reason. That'd be cool reason. too. That would be pretty cool. Or that she'd at least start the next fight at half health. Or maybe completely different looking, like she has four wings. and She then metamorphizes. Yeah. That'd be pretty sick. I just thought that she'd start the next phase at half health. When Let me I ask got you to something. Her at the end. Please. Mm-hmm. Did did you all get tricked constantly all the time by her little pop-up move where she dodges your arrow? Where like it feels yeah. like you can hit her with Riju's lightning, but then she dodges upwards and you miss. Uh I can't recall. The answer is definitely yes. But there there's two different things here. Uh, we, we both had very different um, solutions to that problem, me and Monica. I remember this because I watched her do the fight. Um, her solution was stop relying on Riju's arrows, or yes. on Riju's lightning, and just stick shock fruit onto your arrows and just keep shooting. Just keep shooting until she doesn't dodge. She used hundreds of arrows in that fight. I hate bugs. Now, the thing that did it for me is that once I realized what was happening, I never tried to shoot her with lightning except when I was in bullet time because I don't think she can dodge your arrows during bullet time. Crystal, were you trying to use Riju continuously? Yes. And eventually I learned the proper timing so I could hit her and she wouldn't trick me. But it was a real pain (laughs) because she kept getting me. She's like, see ya, sucker. Oh, you thought you you didn't have me. On the scale of boss difficulty, I think she's second. Really? Behind Ganondorf? Is a little... No, I just mean of the four bosses. Oh, okay, of the four bosses. What would you put her at, Crystal? Um, I'd probably say number one of the four bosses. She's the one I had the most trouble with. <gasps> no, I think that's I, that's probably a pretty standard take on it. I, I'd probably put her at number one, two. Um, let's see. Yeah, there's Mulgara. There's the Mokhtarok. There's uh, Marbled Goma, and there's the Queen Gibdo. Yeah, yeah, I'd say Queen Gibdo's at the top of that. Okay. Just for my experience. And when you beat her, she flees, and you have a sequence of going into the pyramid, which this is the best temple. Really? Yes. 
This is the best temple of the game, in my opinion. I thought that the the first half where you're just kind of walking through tunnels was pretty like fun. The and then the second half where you're doing five rooms is also pretty fun. Mm-hmm. But they felt a little disconnected to me, almost like two mini dungeons. It felt like once I got to the five rooms, they were all really close together and I finished it really fast. It was very puzzly explorey and it did i think yes to somebody familiar with zelda puzzles you can really breeze through it uh, but i just love the atmosphere just you're exploring an, an ancient tomb it's not a tomb i guess <laughs> an ancient pyramid uh you've got a pal with you you've got your little torch you've got these booby traps everywhere it's dark and there's things on fire, uh, including giant tumbleweeds that come at you. And that's, I love the atmosphere. I also really like the names of the rooms, which I've recorded here. There's the Room of Glorious Light, the Room of Offered Light, the Room of Natural Light, the r- Room of Light and Flame, Room of Hopeful Light, and the Room of Light and Shade. And the center pillar where everything is, is the Room of Ascension. That is pretty good. We usually like to look at dungeons in terms of an analysis of, is this a test or is this a an enemy area? What's our interpretation of the Lightning Temple? I'd like to hear your thoughts first, Crystal. The Lightning Temple feels a lot like a temple. I can see this being a place where people go to worship mm-hmm. light and lightning. Yes. Well, that's interesting. I guess I was thinking of light in terms of just the, you know, from the sun, but the worship of light in terms of lightning makes that that that's a lot more logical, I think. I think that it also reads like a temple that was built specifically to perform an act of veneration. But I think that it's also different from temples throughout the rest of the series. Because in, in Ocarina of Time, for instance, we get the impression that the temples feel like they could function as temples, right? These are places of worship. Mm-hmm. Crystal? Yes. But they're also explicitly built to be trials for the hero after a certain point. Like, there's obstacles in there to ensure that you can't get the treasures from deeper inside the temple unless you're a huge badass. But with this one, with this, with, with the spirit temple and, or sorry, the lightning, lightning. temple, mm-hmm. I keep thinking Ocarina of Time because that's the kind of person that I am. This, this temple feels a lot like Ocarina of Time spirit temple. It feels like the Arbiter's Grounds to me. But this is not a trial for Link. It's a trial for Riju. Yes. And that's true of all of these temples. You're not trying to increase Link's power. You're trying to awaken these sages, which is neat to me. I think it is still a place of worship in some respects. When it was accessible, um, you have the, the batteries around the place, which could only be charged by the leader of the Grudo, or I suppose the Zonai. Um, and then there's an elevator platform which will take you to the top where there's an area of reverence. There are uh, Zonai constructs all over the place, and I guess they're all over these temples too, which confirms that I think it's it's a worshipy area, but it's since been infested. Crystal, what do you think of the idea that the temples are for the sages rather than for the hero? That would make sense to me, but it seems like the sages... Seems like Link does most of the work, really. (laughs) Well, they are utterly um, necessary to activate things, at least. 
I, I also, when I was walking around in the pyramid, very early on, it came to me, I technically don't need to go through this dungeon. I could just ascend all of the levels up into where the boss is. Did you do that, Crystal? Wait, you can do that? You sure can, actually. You can, yes. And I did it too. What happens? The boss room is just empty. It's waiting for Riju because she can't get up there. Oh. Because it's not it's not concerned with you. It wants to kill the sage. That's what Phantom Ganon is really trying to doing. More than wiping out the peoples surrounding them, Phantom Ganon is trying to find and kill the reborn sage. I feel like it's trying to kill Link too, but it's not very effectual. I think that he's a secondary concern. He's for the Demon King. Yeah, fair enough. So the in a way, this is very much about helping the sages ascend to the same place of prominence and capability as the champions who came before them. Or surpass them, even. No. We'll talk about that once we're done with the, with the temple. But no, that doesn't fucking happen. You know what was a better execution of helping a sage awaken is Wind Waker with Makar uh-huh. and Medley. I felt like they played I... a more prominent role in their dungeons. Really? Yeah. Because got, you could become them. They gotta play the song. They did have to play the song. I, I really kind of wanted to walk around as Riju. I mean, that's not going to be in the DLC, but... No, but I mean, if we pictured it like Wind Waker, right? You can walk around as Makar, waddle, waddle, waddle. Yeah. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Why can't we walk around as these sages? I don't know. Should have been able to. Yes. And then you would be limited in terms like... You can still fight, but you don't have all of your equipment. You can't crawl walls like a monkey. And, you know, maybe there's some puzzle sequences where you need two people. I mean, I thought it still worked pretty good for what it was. I I just mostly was just really surprised and just sort of happy when I got up into the boss arena. Yeah. And I really liked the thing about it. But you two are right. My assertion that the dungeons are about uplifting the sages it does invite criticism about that possible execution or yeah. about the relative potential of that execution. Kandorf does remark later on that he really thought you'd be dead, though. Yes. From one or the other things that his his minion tries to throw at you. I kind of get the impression later on that Ganondorf's not all that aware of what's been going on. Yeah, he's taking a bath. He's just in the bath. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Puppet Ganon's doing everything. Puppet Ganon could well be doing everything. I like that you've transitioned into calling Phantom Ganon Puppet Ganon. Puppet Phantom, it's all the same to me. Well, then why couldn't they have more of a, you know, speaking role? That's not spooky enough. Puppets can't Pretty talk sp- without their ventriloquists. Actually, no, if if Puppet Ganon... If, God damn it, now I'm calling it Puppet Ganon. If Phantom Ganon had taken more opportunities to speak to Link as Zelda, uh-huh. that Hell shit yeah. could have been... Uh-huh. That, that could have been pretty good. That's what I want. That's what I meant. That could have been like some... Give me my fanfics. Could have been some pretty nice shit. I I think that the fanfickers are at it, so Godspeed. Yeah, the fanfickers and the fan artists have already gone deep on Phantom Zelda. Not Phantom Zelda from Spirit Tracks, but Phantom Ganon Zelda. Well, Zelda was a little evil, but Link just accepted it because of his loyalty. Oh, you're talking about a very different kind. Ooh. I'll also read that fanfic. Crystal, you should write that fanfic. Okay. Okay. I look forward to seeing it. Secondary uh, fight with the Gibdo Queen? It's a little bit more complicated. 
It's a little bit like um, Jalhalla from Wind Waker. Ghost, ghost jiggle guy with a light. I think it's Jalhalla. Yes. I just mean like the four platforms and the light shining down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need that light. You get the light on her, that's her ass for some reason. When there's enough Gibdo running around, it is kind of inconvenient. (laughs) It is inconvenient, and Monica was experiencing a kind of deep seat, like her nervous system was working against her. I also really hate Redead. I know. That's all I got. (laughs) How did you find this boss fight in its proper form, Crystal? Annoying. She kept dodging. It's just the same boss fight, really. Sometimes there's there's mushrooms. And and there's light. And there's light. I I guess the idea was that you were, once light stuns her, that's when you're supposed to shoot her. Yes. I can't wait around for light. Or or maybe standing in the light is supposed to protect you from the other Gibdo. So you can use that as a spot to shoot her. Even though the flying Gibdo will just barf at you from out of range. One consequence of the sand shroud is that all the water got stopped out in Grudo Town. Yes. And the Grudo don't really seem to notice this. I guess they're used to like low water conditions, but... I don't think they are, actually. Really? Okay. Anyway, they would have like run out of water at some point. They're fine. Crystal said they're made of sand. (laughs) Crystal, are the Gerudo made of sand? No, they're just people. Oh, this is a pretty major retcon to the Book of Medora lore. But the Gorons... The Gorons are made of rocks. The Gorons are canonically made of rocks. And emerge from the rock. Yes, they emerge from the... They are born of the earth. They are like rock ants. Crystal, that was your most accurate Tears of the Kingdom prediction. Yes, (laughs) Yes, the Gerudo just give birth like humans. Messy business. So we fight and we kill the Queen Gibdo. Uh, Rijo taps the... Giant secret stone. There's a secret stone up there, which is what she was being led to. Surprise. Uh, I didn't wa- rewatch the sequence, but it's all templated and the same. Crystal, what happens when you talk to the ancient sage of lightning? Because that's who we were trying to find. The ancient sage of lightning, who has no face and no name, tells Riju about the war against the demon king and how King Rauru sacrificed himself to seal him away. And now it's her duty to become the new sage because Zelda told her that we need some new guys coming up. And uh, the ancestor bound her through blood and whatnot. Well, through the oath. Through the oath that carried through the blood. Yeah. The, the, The sage and in the imagery in the background, there's that six eye imagery of Naboris. I think it's in the helm as well. Right. It's kind of jarring. Because the six eye imagery is also tied to the bargainers. Yes. Hmm. Because Vodnaboris does have six eyes, the helmet of the Lightning Sage has six eyes, and the bargainers have six eyes. Do the Gerudo also participate in the worship of the bargainers? Hmm. Are the bargainers as the psychopomps, those who carry the souls of the dead into the afterlife, related to the deep darkness that twin rova touches but the bargainers aren't evil they are not concerned with good or evil exactly twin rova's evil yes i'm i'm just asking do you think they could be related to that same because darkness isn't evil either there have been multiple case cases where the sage of shadows that is of darkness yami 
has worked against Ganon specifically. Hmm. What this Demon King is, is a rebel sage of shadow. We didn't really talk about that. We probably should. Okay. <laughs> a rebel sage of shadow. Crystal, how do you, what do you think of the fact that we're dealing with sages of lightning here instead of sages of spirit? Well, we give a sage of spirit later. So let, That's true. So they replace um, forest with lightning, basically, right? Well, forest with wind. Forest with winds. Okay, so the Ocarina ones were forest, fire, water, spirit, shadow, light, and I guess you could say time for Zelda. Yes. Yeah, we'll say that. And here we have uh, lightning, fire, water, winds, light, time, spirit, and shadow. Yes. Yeah. There's actually eight. So lightning's just the extra one. Um, well, we're still missing forest, and we have wind instead. That's the same thing. Okay, fair enough. And unfortunately, there's no ice. Ice sage. No ice sage. And no earth sage. No earth sage. Yeah, there's no earth sage. So how many sages is that if we include those back in? Like how many different elements have been represented? Like over the course of the series? Yes. Ten. Okay, that's a nice number. I mean, they, they clearly just use whatever elements they deem necessary. Yes. But do we think, like, if there was somebody very forest-aligned, if they touched a secret stone, that it would be the Sage of Forest and the Secret Stone of Forest? Like the Deku Tree? Yeah, or if a Korok, if a Korok touched the secret stone and was worthy and had the power inside of them to be amplified. If this was the Saria Korok. Yes. Would they be the Sage of the Forest? I guess they would have to be, yeah. I'm just going to point out to both of you that Makar was the Sage of Wind. Oh, yeah. That's weird. And so was Fado. Why was why were they the Sage of Wind and not Earth? Earth that the Koroks were bringing back in Wind Waker. Well, because wind is important for sailing. When you're a little guy, and, you have to travel by the winds. And Medley was the Sage of Earth, even though she flies. She yes. lives in the volcano. She does. She lives in a. She lives on Death Mountain. She's a Zora. Uh huh. She's a Zora who flies and lives on a volcano, and she's the Sage of Earth. I think we concluded that those were the specific sages, just because it would be very much a challenge for each one of them to go through the temple. Hey, a little later, we're gonna have to talk about the fucking Rito, right? Like what, 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 yeah. what they are, where they came from. Uh huh. Well, I guess really. Wind is kind of a replacement for ice, because the reeds are a cold thing, and wind is chilly. That makes a certain amount of sense. Yes. You know that when I went to the southern U.S. for the first time, and the wind blew, and it was a warm wind, I was just like, this area is fucked. It was the rain that fell. It was the rain, which it was like super fucked. It was was a hot rain, and Monica had never- At Disneyland. Monica had never experienced a hot rain in her entire life. Oh, it sucks. It's so bad. It's awful. Why do you live down there? I was it was at Disneyland or World. Which one's in Florida? That would be World. Okay. I, I was at Disney World. I was in grade three. I, and your parents were also deeply confused. Return home. Which to is the weird for your, weird for your parents to be from confused because they're from Taiwan and I know they get some hot rains over there. No, it was just me being confused. I just shared this alone. Oh, okay. With myself. I see. Being disappointed that the, the rain did not Why are we talking about hot rain? The wind? Yes. The wind is the blowing. The wind being cold. <laughs> yeah. Is wind always an element of coldness? The north wind. That wind was not blowing. 
Ganondorf went to Florida and was like, nah, fuck this place. <laughs> you don't think he'd like Florida? I don't think he'd particularly care for it. He might like to get into, like, governance there, but he'd be one of those guys who is governor but lives somewhere a lot colder. Oh, one of those governors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a thing that happens. It's, it's, not, it's not a thing that never happens. You don't think he'd like warm weather? Or is he like Anakin Skywalker? <laughs> His entire character is about... Re- Please don't compare him to Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> His entire character in Wind Waker is about preferring the cool winds and the cool rains. The bountiful yada yada. Yeah. Okay, okay. What do you think, Crystal? That's kind of like Anakin, though, isn't it? Because he prefers... God Nat- damn it! <laughs> He prefers Naboo to Tatooine. It's true. (laughs) It is a lot like Hyrule to the Gerudo Desert is a lot like Naboo to Tatooine. The only thing Anakin wants is to sail the beautiful canals of Naboo with his wife. (laughs) But the Jedi won't let him because they need to conscript him into a war. They do have to conscript him into a war. And if he has earthly connections to his wife, then he can't be conscripted into a war. Well, as Lucas says, he can have sex with her. He just can't be emotionally attached to her. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's the other thing about Star Wars is that it also treats the Jedi as ultimately being right about it because he turns into Darth Vader. We can also say that, Gandorf, if this is Japan, (laughs) Hyrule is Japan. Oh, Japanese summers are fucking crazy, though. Fair enough. But they have the cherry blossom. They do have spring. It's true. And autumn is nice there, too. Yeah. I didn't live in Canada, which has awesome autumns, I guess I'd make more of the Japanese autumn. Crystal, what's your favorite season? It's got to be autumn, not even close. Yeah! Yeah, I think autumn is a pretty safe pick for a lot of people. I still really like winter, but I'd like it to be a little bit more severe. What? You want it to be more severe? Toronto's winters are like little baby winters. That's the best kind of winter. When I first came to Canada, I lived in Kingston. And Kingston, they got some real winters over there. You'd get days where the actual temperature would be 40 below zero. And I walked out wearing three pairs of pants and three shirts and a big-ass jacket. That lake wind. That lake, And the wind coming off the lake could kill a fucking horse. And you get spooked by the snowplow. Okay. Well, yes, I did spook at the snowplows like an unfamiliar animal because I, I thought something was behind me and I, I my monkey brain took over and thought I was about to be attacked. The thing about winter that disqualifies it is that it's also way darker. Light exists in Canada from around 10 a.m. <laughs> okay, 9 a.m.-ish to 4 p.m.-ish. And that's miserable. That is miserable. I prefer so sunlight. Not- yes. But it's so nice when it's really quiet and the snow is still falling and you can just sit out there in that absolute silence. I can't believe you yearn for 40 below zero. I do. Disgusting. <laughs> I can I can never relate. I'm sorry. Well, what about yearning for the simple pleasure of sitting outside as the snow falls listening to the quiet? Sure. I, I can nice. appreciate a little bit of snow. Just a little bit? <laughs> I just, I don't. I don't want to drive in the snow and ice. That's true. Okay, would your feelings on it be different with a really good public transit system? It'd be a lot better. If you could take a subway to go to where you need to be. Yeah, that'd be a lot better. There's still slush. I'm out. <laughs> Autumn is the best. 
not just because of the temperature and because of the leaves, but because of the food. It's apple season. It's pie season. Yeah, but spring and summer also have such wonderful fruits that are in season. Like, we're coming to the end of summer and the peaches up here are in season. Crystal, Ontario peaches go fucking hard. And I could take a leaf or peach. What? It's not what my the fuck did... fruit. What the fuck you say? Here's here's what? fruits I like. I like apples. Uh-huh. I like raspberries. Mm-hmm. Of course. I like melons. Which what? melons? All the melons. Oh, <gasps> fuck me. Okay. I like pineapples. Mm-hmm. Naturally. I like uh, oranges and all citrus variants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's all of them. What's your favorite apple? Granny Smith apple. <gasps> wow, that's a choice. Good and sour. That's right. I am a giant fan of the honey crisp, but of late I have also come to love the cosmic crisp. It's a little sweeter, but just equally juicy and crispy. Monica's mother recently picked up some plum. Uh-huh. And the plums have a green skin but the inside of them is ruby red it almost looks like beets on the inside how do you like a good plum crystal not a huge plums fan. oh my god plums and peaches that that may be criminal that that may be prosecutable in certain uh jurisdictions what about grapes i love grapes oh you can't not love grapes come yes. on yes any of our listeners who don't like grapes yes you do <laughs> Get out of my face. Some people don't like grapes. Some people don't like grapes. Well, Some people that really don't like raisins. I mean, that's different. Grapes, when they're fresh and juicy, especially the ones that are like, you, they're so firm that they almost shatter when you bite into them and they just kind of explode a little bit. Oh my God. I don't know about Crystal. that. No, no. I mean the kind where it's like they have a nice, they're so firm and so juicy that they just burst. Crystal, have you had caps before? I don't think I have. That you might know them by um, honeyberry. No, I haven't had these. They are like a long blueberry, and in my opinion, they taste better than a blueberry. Uh, that's not. It's a, like all juice inside. That's not an opinion. Hascaps are like. What if blueberries were as good as people like to pretend blueberries are? I really like blueberries. I like them too. You really should have some crystal. They're also called fly honeysuckle. Fly honeysuckle. The way I see it, the problem with raisins is that they're too sweet. I feel like I'm eating a whole candy bar if I eat one raisin. <laughs> uh, see, that's that's why I like to use them as a sweetening agent. Like, they're good in a bowl of oatmeal. Yeah. Monica is making a face because she doesn't believe in sweetened oatmeal. I do not. But I like both savory and sweet oatmeal. I put soy sauce on my oatmeal. Hell yeah. Yeah. That is big brain. Have some congee. That that's basically oat congee, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I'm eating oat congee every morning. You are. Well you're not putting soy sauce in it, so is it really congee? I'll do that tomorrow. That's a good idea. I can use that instead of salt. Okay. We have uh eradicated the sand trout. <laughs> and we can go back to Gerudo Town, but also um we get our big handshake with with Oh yes. With Richu. And she's like, here, I got this new power. And she summons her stand, which is herself. So in the first game, the sages were the ghosts of living people who accompanied you. And once your mission was done, they were taken by the bargainers to the afterlife. 
I would say that they moved on on their own, but sure. But here, there's just like a copy of Riju's soul that she puts into a ring so that yeah. you can summon her Eidolon whenever you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is a bit strange. It, it is powered by the, the pact, the oath. Yes, the oath. And when you power it up, it is this solemn oath. What do you make of the difference, Crystal? It kind of seems like this is like a phantom Riju, kind of like a phantom Ganon. Is that where you were heading with this? It kind of seems that way, doesn't it? Yeah, I could definitely see the comparison that you're making. I mean, the it's basically a manifestation of the sage's powers, since the sage's power is denoted by those glowing blue lines. But it's also a manifestation of their shape that follows you around. And their will in a lot of ways. Yeah, because they have AI. It, it fights just like them. I really wish that they had color-coded them, because Tulin is roughly the same height as Riju. Yes. And I just, I click the wrong one. Constantly. I was sure after I got my first Sage that, oh, they're going to put all the different functions on the different face buttons. Surely they wouldn't just put them all on the A button so you have to mess up constantly when you have all of them out. I'm glad that we could talk about this now because this this little bit of problem, which I think is very much a designed limitation, and I think that it's fine as a function of the game, but at the same time, when I look at it, I go, you know, the sages, in a lot of ways, each of them is like a much less powerful version of the champion powers. Yeah. Because you take Riju's lightning. It's really nice. It's great at blowing up rocks. And if you shoot a single enemy with it, they get electrocuted and they sometimes die. But how does it compare to Urbosa's fury? Not as strong. It's kind of sad. And but it's intentional. Yes. Intentional, intentionally less powerful. Yes. Oh, yeah, because Urbosa's fury was fucking busted. And then you take uh, Sidon's power, which can be used to make you really strong. But it's a one-hit shield that becomes one-hit attack. As opposed to Mifa bringing you back to life with five extra hearts. Maybe Sidon, the most pow worst power in the game. Always <gasps> a pain to activate. Yeah, he's hard to chase down sometimes. He, yeah. he he loves to run off and have a fight. I see. Maybe you could have the little AI guys running around, but have an additional something that Link can do, like whistle or something, and activate the power. I think that whistling makes them come toward yes, you. Yes, it does. But like a separate whistle, a uh, directional whistle. Putting so it on the D-pad like Crystal said? Yes. Mm. Well, um, and then of course we compare. Uh, the Unibo's power is a little bit different from Daruk's protection. Also weird that Unibo loses the ability to use Daruk's protection, I think. That is pretty weird. What do you think of that, Crystal? Well, Daruk's not around anymore to offer his protection. <laughs> so you think that Unibo was getting it from Daruk even while Daruk was imprisoned on Varudania? I think Unibo was, he was modeling his power on Daruk, but then he decided to go his own way and make the better ability of becoming a cannonball. Of being a miner. That's Which right. he kind of was doing already in Breath of the Wild. It's, it's just funny to me that it's a less combat-focused ability. All of them are, kind of. In a sense. Well, not Riju's. Hmm. And in a sense, no, not Sidon's either. You can keep cool with the water. You can indeed. There's some really fun niche uses. I'll go. I'll, I'll definitely say that. 
But then you compare to, compare Tulin to Rivali's Gale. There's no comparison between so sad. them. Well, like that, Tulin gets you a lot of horizontal, whereas Rivali's is more vertical. Yeah, but if he can send you 40 meters straight up, you get a lot more extra horizontal than Tulin can give you. I don't know. Tulin gets me a lot of horizontal. I'm saying that it still feels like the smaller version of Rivali's power. Like he's still not completely realized and he'll be different when he's an adult. These are all young people who haven't fully developed their powers. I think this is their peak. What? You think they're peaking in high school? You yes. are full of shit. Isn't that how it works in Zelda? No, <laughs> it isn't. In point of fact, it's specifically not. <laughs> Why do you think they're peaking in high school? They're awakened sages now. So? This is their sage power. Tulin is 10. Uh-huh. He. Why do you think Tulin is peaking at 10 years old? Why do you think he's never going to get any stronger than he is now? If we do not have another his en- sequel. His entire character arc is about realizing the ways that he still needs to grow and become stronger. Are you just saying this? Is that what's fucking happening? No. Are, are you just trying to get my goat a little bit? Just trying to get old Cameron's goat? No. Then what's happening? I think they're I need this explained. all as strong as the champions except for for us the player what i don't think that's true i think that's specifically untrue crystal do you see the narrative like do you see the uh new sages being as powerful as the champions were in the narrative um yes i would say so Really? You would say that Riju is as powerful as Urbosa was? Hey, you know what all the sages are at the end of the game? They're still alive. Oh. Have you considered that the Calamity is way more powerful than the Demon King? That may be true. Notably, each of the sages does beat its their own boss on their own. You were saying, Crystal. Each of the sages beats their own boss on their own. Yeah! <laughs> is, you were going to say that? That's right. Yeah! I just, I don't think they're going to have anyone to challenge them like the Calamity, unless Vati shows up or whoever. (laughs) So Monica is arguing that Tulin's Wind Gust is as powerful or more powerful than Rivali's Gale as a manifestation of wind control, even though Tulin specifically says he still hasn't figured out how to make it vertical. Wait, 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 hold on a second, hold on. We see them at the end. They fight the Battle of a Thousand Heartless. We didn't see the champions do that. That's very true. There's a lot that we didn't see with the champions. I think that Tulin will continue to learn and grow, but not necessarily in his manifestation of magic and wind powers. He will be a very, very capable warrior of the Rito. But as a user of the wind, he... As a person boosted by a secret stone to godlike power, will still be walking in the shadow of Rivali's Gale. Rivali's Gale is very useful to us. And you would also argue that even though Rivali's Gale is weight, because you say that Rivali's Gale better than Tulin Gust. Yes. And you say that despite that, Tulin's manifestation of wind power is more powerful than Rivali's. Why? At least on par. Why? Because it's his awakening as blank. What do you mean blank? Like a sage. Right, I get that, but what, why does that mean that he's as powerful as Rivali? The whole game's primary- I'm not saying, like, I'm not putting Tulin in a fight with Rivali. 
Rivali couldn't even beat one <laughs> Phantom Ganon. <laughs> all these sages fought like four Phantom Ganons plus the real Ganon all at once. Yes. Cameron. And they lived and didn't die. <laughs> I know we're going to disagree, but let's wait at least until the DLC. I am so mad. Because <laughs> I'm right? I am. I am. Because we're aligned, Crystal and I. Yes, it is because of your alignment. And I feel that if I pushed, I would be being rude. We're going to hash this out. It we'll may. hash it out off call. Okay. You know I'm one of the most respected members of the power scaling community. That's true. So if and we're that... doing some power scaling, my insight is valuable. I defer to Crystal on power scaling. <laughs> I don't power scale. I've got no concept of power scale. And I think if we if we look at the text, if we look at the the final fights, I think the sages in this game are some of the most impressive warriors in the series. That's very true. Um. So th- the pact is made... Uh, Riju's going to follow you around, or a shadow of her is. And Crudo Town, the water's flowing, everybody's back up um, on top, except for the guy who sailed. Uh, Buliara is sent to lookout landing. Yes. I found that huge. It is kind of huge, because she's now Riju... She's the bodyguard. Yeah. Riju's without her prime... She's without her impa. Like, Buliara's always, like, overly attached to Riju. And that's actually a bit of characterization in this game. Yeah. Like, she's, I don't know if a mother figure necessarily. She acts Adoptive basic. in some sense. Yeah. yeah. Just like, yeah, we're good on both ends. She is, she is Riju's Alfred Pennyworth. Yes. I found it pretty incredible that she just ups and leaves to look at landing. But I guess, you know, if you're going to send your top person, that's Buliara. It's her acknowledgement that Riju can take care of herself. And a contingent of Grudo go with her and look at landing is much more uh, defended at that point. Yes. I really thought this would come to something. <laughs> you know, I kind of did too. What, Crystal, what did you think of how Lookout Landing was evolving over the course of the game? It was a nice little hub area, but I didn't feel like there were enough interactions between all the people gathered there. They just kind of stood around. Buliara's at the tactical table in the sanctuary. Grudo at the gates. I really thought there was going to be another defense sequence here, or they would help you storm the castle. Like Age of Calamity. Yes. What did you think, Crystal? I did also consider that. That would have been really cool. That would have been pretty cool. Maybe this is a setup for the Age of Calamity. <laughs> Hyrule Warriors. Hyrule Tears. Warriors 3. Yes. Tears of the Kingdom 2. Skyward Sword 4. Yes. <laughs> I'm still molding. <laughs> uh, you can shape the champion's weapons, which... Hey, can we talk about the champion's weapons for a second? Uh-huh. So, Crystal... Ganondorf corrodes all the weapons in the world. Mm-hmm. And nobody's making new weapons. Right. Monica argues that they're making new weapons in Lookout Landing. Yeah, they're making them, but they're all decayed from the onset. But I don't... Is that in there? I think so. You'd have to show me, because I don't think that's in there. Okay. But anyway, so why aren't the champion's weapons affected by this? And it is the champion's weapons. But it's also not just the champion's weapons. They're now retconned to being the sage's weapons. From 10 billion years ago. From 30 billion years ago. Uh, they're infused with the power of the secret stones. The weapons are. Well, just just a smidge. Just enough to counteract the decay. My theory is that they're now that we've retconned it and extended it longer, yes, they're crafted to Zonai 
something. And whatever it is that Ganon's curse is, it doesn't affect Zonai weapon. You think that the 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 boulder breaker is a Zonai weapon? It's using some Zonai technique. It is made using a cobble crusher and some diamond. And you sprinkle a little bit of Zonite. No, you don't. <laughs> Just a little bit of Zonite. And point of fact, you don't. So, but Crystal, do you think that this... One of the things about this game is that they're very explicit that you can remake these weapons when they break because the spirit of the weapon lives on. The most essential part of any given construction isn't the single physical reality of it. It's the idea behind it. It is... When you rebuild something, you are truly rebuilding it. Does that mean that the blessing of the spiritual stone that you posit exists moves between the... Is there a soul of the light-scale trident? I suppose there must be, for it to all be the light-scale trident, the authentic one. And is the soul of the light-scale trident so powerful that it just resists the gloom? When even the Master Sword was destroyed? I think it must be. I think that the Master Sword came in contact directly with the Demon King and the Goo. Anything would break very quickly in that scenario. I don't think that there is a soul of these weapons that can be remade over and over again, but I suppose you could infuse a soul into something over and over again. Uh, some of the, the smiths seem to talk about the weapons as if they can sense that there's still a copy of it in the world. It's not as if they can sense. They know. Dento says specifically he can sense when the light scale trident is no longer in the world. Yeah. So I guess (laughs) they are characters. Okay. So what else do we need to cover about Gerudo? Gerudo town's back. It's fine now. People are back in the bazaar and everything. You find the Smith lady. She has a big old crush on you. Yeah, that that they did change her character so that now she's all about Link in a different way. <laughs> you can pay rupees to buy the headbands. Uh, there's uh, what's her name, Caliban. She's also got a crush on you after you you find her message bottles and he makes you those heart soups. Oh, she's the real Sundari one who's yes. throwing her watermelon rinds in the water in Breath of the Wild. Yes. Um, you can stand as a dummy in the Vo and you class and listen to all that. Or in the kid class, too. I think there's... Uh-huh. If you've got you, all of your you desert stand, gear on. You, stand, you are allowed to sit in on the adult class. Yes. But as the kid one, you get kicked out. What a weird fucking... It's pretty weird. The, the Vo and you classes are still pretty funny, I guess. They're neat I, little uh, side quests. The one where you have to put on a mask to talk to the girl because she's too embarrassed to talk to your face. I put on the the Hero of Awakening bobblehead. That was great. This is a shoujo prince simulator. <laughs> is it? Please expand. It... You're like a shoujo prince in the Gerudo High School, and everyone's too embarrassed to talk to you because you're so beautiful. Yeah. Because I thought that it read more like a shonen romance. Because every girl immediately wants to fuck you for no particular reason. <laughs> it can be both. I don't think of heterosexual relationships in shonen as romantic. To me, those are the most... This is a social obligation. The romance happens between the boys. No, that you gotta true. remember, there's a difference between shonen battle manga versus shonen romance, though. There is shonen romance. You're saying That's this is true. a Tenchi Muyo. No. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, we're not. I'm not dragging Tenshi Muyo into this. But also, yes, absolutely, 100%. It is basically a, like the harem manga trope. Every girl wants to fuck this guy. Zelda just does that trope. Yes, it does. In the biggest games. It's been doing it since Ocarina of Time. Uh-huh. Sort of. I think the fandom was doing a lot of heavy lifting in Ocarina. No, no, they definitely meant Oh, okay. It. Yeah, that's in the game. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, uh, there's a long research quest for the the research Grudo lady. This is how we find out uh, that this would have been a great time to talk about the eight heroines, wouldn't it? It happened well, a long just... time ago. It did happen a long time ago. Ergo, happen. we've already talked about Link is a published scholar. He is. Once you do all of the side quests for, I didn't catch her name, Osha? Something like that. Something like that. It, she publishes her work academically, and I think Zelda will be very angry that Link has beat her to the academic publishing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You think that Zelda hasn't been published? I don't think Rome let her. It's been six years. Oh, you mean since then? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Crystal, do you think Zelda got in some scientific publishings? Wait, who's the publisher? I don't know, but... It's an academic journal. There's an academic journal, yes. Who's running the academic journal? <laughs> the Archaeologist Society. Probably the Zonai, the Zonai Research. No, there is an actual separate Archaeologist Society uh, that she talks about. She wants to be a member of it. Wait, is it that might in the be... past? No! This is today. The, the Gerudo Archaeologist that you work with talks constantly about being recognized by the Archaeologist Society. Why is Zelda not part of it? That's a maybe uh, my suggestion is that she probably already is because if that society exists, there's no way in hell that the first thing Zelda did, did it's that she failed to try to publish something. But yes, now Link is also now co he's credited, credited as a co researcher on her paper. So in this game where you are making yourself worthy of Zelda, that includes as a published scholar. <laughs> This is a game where Link is making himself worthy of Zelda. Yes. That is actually true. Yes. And, you know, you can't win her over if you don't got some papers published. A Paul fell over my face just before I said that. He also I, became a professor for her. He, he is called professor before she is. Zelda, com Zelda comes back from the past and she goes to school. She's like, Miss Zelda, will Professor Link be in today? And she's like, Professor who? You called Link what? And I'm still Miss Zelda? I think that's everything about the Gerudo. You know, they never get rid of Creeposaurus Rex. He's still in there. Yeah. He's still on that He's still on that roof. He'll starve soon. <laughs> yes, he will. He'll die there and turn into a Gibdo. So, so, so Riju mentions that, and I think she's the one who mentions this specifically, is that the reason that she's sticking around is partially gather up information on Zelda and partially to make sure that all of her people are still doing okay, right? Mm -hmm. And you remember how in Breath of the Wild, when she said something very similar, once you took care of everybody's problems, she would give you the Thunder Helm. Yep. I thought that after a certain point in the story, the, the sages themselves would start running around with you instead of just their shadow clones. That would have been neat. That would have been interesting. But then you couldn't turn them off. Sure you could. I guess they could warp in and out. Yeah. I thought that's what the Solemn Vow was going to do. I'm still not actually clear on what the Solemn Vow did. It powered the ring. Yeah, but no, I mean, moving, like, 
when you get the sages recollections up in the sky the sages wills the sages wills and sacrifice them to the goddess statue to deepen the vow of one of the stages what did deepening the vow do i think the recharge time is reduced a bit boo hiss that makes a big deal for tulin it does make a pretty big deal for tulin he can get you across much bigger gaps that way they might be stronger too attacking i don't know that that i would believe because i don't pay any attention to how much damage they do anything else interesting in the desert I really liked the quicksand places, except for the one where there were a whole bunch of them packed close to each other. You know, I would have said there was more interesting things in the desert, but we already covered everything in past episodes. Yeah, but anything else like of current time, Cameron? Well, the statues of the Seven are completely fucking buried. That was kind of crazy. Yeah. Was there a side quest involving them? I know somebody wanted to ride over to them, but yes. I never did that side quest. A researcher wants to go over there to take a look at them. What does she say? She's Chris, wondering... Did, did you do that one? Nope. Oh, okay. You have to to carry her over on a, a sled seal. A sleigh seal, sorry. That was kind of a fun. A sand seal? A sand seal with a sled compartment okay. called a sleigh seal. Oh, okay. And uh, you can go really fast and really <laughs> screw up the journey. Uh, she looks around and just go, wonders where all of them went. And why there are some just swords standing freely on their own. The reason is, is they all got sucked underneath. That's about it. Sucked underneath the sand? Yeah, there's a giant um, whirlpool there. Okay, I thought that... Well, how the hell... That, that reads very intentional. Intentional in what way? It feels like an intentional natural disaster, like the intentional natural disaster that has been plaguing the Gerudo since the upheaval. You mean Ganondorf took offense? Or Phantom Ganon. Because, again, I don't think that Ganondorf is particularly aware of anything that's going on on the surface. I guess so. An obliteration of these monuments that have been here for a while. At least 10,000 years. They are venerating Gerudo late leaders who aren't him. What do you think of that, Crystal? But that would be like destroying the pyramids. Ganondorf would destroy the pyramids. Ganondorf would absolutely blow up the pyramid. That's so evil. He's pretty evil. <laughs> Leave no survivors. Why is blowing up property so evil, Crystal? Because it's this been is community around property. forever. It has it's been not around. Property. I mean, well, I guess the the state of Egypt owns the pyramids. They're this not is like a privately owned. It, it is a cultural artifact. Yes. Yeah. I know. I'm just being pithy. <laughs> I'm just being pithy. But um, to him, they are not ancient artifacts. They are the. Uh, they are statues to pretenders. Yeah, newfangled junk. Yes. To him, they are not ancient. They're just something that people made while he was away. It must be alarming to come back and it's like the world moved on without you. Oh, I don't think he actually sees it. The thing is, to Crystal, you said earlier that to him, it's like the war didn't end. Yeah. And I think on some level, that's really true because he's so uninterested in the current state of things. He never investigates anything. That's strictly up to his puppet, the Phantom Ganon. What if Ganondorf came back? What if Tears of the Kingdom, Ganondorf, Ganondorf comes back and fleshifies much sooner, and he's just trying to do a bunch of shit across the world, and nobody really knows about Ganondorf. The only person who is concerned, particularly, I guess the Sheikah are concerned, but Link is getting visions of the past where Ganondorf's also there, starting up shit and... Nobody else is seeing this, but, you know, he's he's making friends. 
I feel like that would fall apart the instant one of the sages awoke. It would fall apart for the area. Oh, I see. It's like the whole mystery around Zelda. Like after you beat the the Lightning Temple, they're like, "Oh, we saw you know Zelda, but she 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 seemed to cause everything, but she went away. But why is she causing all this devastation? Just do that, but Ganondorf. It wouldn't be a Zelda game. No, it wouldn't. But I I, I just want to reiterate that I feel that probably Ganondorf doesn't view them as cultural artifacts representing his culture. He wasn't around for it. Yeah, he's 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 uh. Where's all the statues the me? Yes, exactly. He's de- he's also deeply he's literally reactionary. Things have changed and that's bad. He's not Why allowed in Zo- this town. You were saying, Crystal. Why did the Zonai build the Lightning Temple? I think that the Lightning Temple was probably built by the Gerudo. Why is it all Zonai inside? Is it? Because it's got a lot of Gerudo statues. It's it's I would say at least equally Zonai and Gerudo. I think that each of the temples is a collaboration point between that particular group of people and the Zonai. There are a lot of Zonai stuff in the, t- the pyramid. They built it so this Age of Lightning could be awakened in the future. It was already there in the past. Oh, is that where Zelda meets her? Yes. It was modified. It had a different function before, surely. Oh, in that case, I guess it was made as a symbol of the relationship between the two peoples. Sure. Okay, second question. Why were the Arbiter's grounds built very close to the Lightning Temple? And do you have any ideas behind it? Is it drawing on the battery power, perhaps? How about you, Monica? I think that by the time the Arbiter's grounds were built, and that was built, we decided, I think, in Twilight Princess, off of a Grudo Ancient Grudo Temple. Yes. But perhaps even by the time of the Grudo Temple, the... The pyramid was was buried in the sand. Long gone. Long forgotten. So, you know, there's only so many places in this desert. Maybe every couple of feet you, you trip over a, uh, some sort of temple. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it, it does have a lot of history on it. And people do build things that eventually fall down. Yeah. There are some parts of the sand that, like, are flowing really crazy in the desert. They have made a lot more interesting points in the desert compared to Breath of the Wild. Can you repeat your first question for me, Crystal? Why did the Zonai build the Lightning Temple? I guess on on some level it's the reason why Christians build churches in pagan lands. It is a monument for conversion to make the Gerudo part of Hyrule. So are you saying Raru and Sonya were involved in the construction? It's very possible. It could have also come from before them, but that's still about the acceptance of the Zonai overlords, which may be actually part of what prejudices Ganondorf against Raru and Mineru. Because if the Lightning Temple predates the Demon King Ganondorf, that it implies that at some point the Zonai were also worshipped by the Gerudo? It's quite possible. What do you think of that, Crystal? It's clear that they had some kind of close relationship, at least. Yeah. And this place is like uh, a tribute to Zonai electricity batteries with an elevator functioning. We do be loving an elevator. So what's, how do we want, what's the next order that we want to go in? We're finally swayed by the game's directional suggestions. Okay. Um... I guess there's one more there's one more thing in the desert that I feel we need to talk about. And it's maybe I, I hate to keep coming back to ragging on the Gerudo. 
I mentioned I want to like the Gerudo, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a bit of lore that's revealed in Terrytown, and that we alluded to a little bit in an earlier episode. And that's that when a Gerudo is born outside of Gerudo Town, she grows up with her mother up to a certain point until she's removed from her family and the world of men to be raised in Gerudo Town. Yes. Assumed, assumedly by a foster family. I assume that the mom can come with. Like, that's what happened with Pearl, not Pearl, Aquilette and Guy in Jail, his wife that works in the, the secret club. Uh-huh. But but uh, Rondison just chooses not to. Right, but the fact that it happens. How, what do you make of this uh, th- this cultural tradition, Grizzle? Well, it's interesting that we don't really hear about Gerudo having relationships with their fathers, even though it seems common for them to grow up with them to right. a certain point. Like you, you, you grow up with um, around your father for five years, and then afterward, it's just like, oh, men are so strange. I've never met one. Right. By which I mean to say, it's awfully goofy. Thinking of the Grudo in Grudo Town and the kids there, it seems like some of them are ones that were brought in through this this uh, coming of age process, but I think a whole bunch of them also did just grow up in the town like some grudo after they go get their jollies outside come back to town and have their kids there and the kids just grow up entirely devoid of the presence of men so what is the purpose of having this whole to do about you need to seduce men properly if they're just going to abandon them very fast you gotta have your jollies (laughs) on But no, if you're just going out to get your jollies, then why are you bothering to run Vo and you except to infantilize the women who are taking the class? Taking the text literally. I'm not saying that it's a No, we're not taking the text literally. We don't do that here. Okay. We don't do that here. The Grudo have grown into such a, a peculiar culture that for a while there, they could not interact with Hylians or other other species. In a, but, in a, yes. But they don't need to have any interactions besides one sex. Yes. But they were so weird. Like Everybody was like that funny lady in the class who wants to break arms and shit. Because they're all from Themyscira. Yes. That no sexing was had. And so they all just become walking women be like jokes. They were so awkward that they couldn't even get one sex even though they're all beautiful Amazon women. Yes. Even though they're all eight foot tall goddesses. And even though all of the guys were trying to break into town. And they're all throwing themselves at the women's feet like, please just step on me for a second. Okay, so all of these, those guys are distinguished from Link. They can't fight. They can't be non-creeps. And therefore, the Groot are not interested in having sex with them. They're trying to learn about how to... <laughs> no, please, please. My, uh, How Crystal. to seduce guys that are actually appealing to them? But they're not going to have relationships with them. Some of them do. Uh, Rondison sticks with Hudson. I guess that's true. Yeah, I'm just like can't can't like the the alliance between Hyrule and Garuda Town be like we're going to ship you some containers of sperm and some tricky oh, no. pasters. That just seems like it'd be a much more efficient system for what the Gerudo need. 
Because, yes. again, they're not interested in... Most of them are not interested in having long-term relationships with men. Yeah. They just they just really wrote themselves into a weird corner with the Gerudo. It's, it's so hard to even make specific critiques of the Gerudo because it's all just so self-evidently stupid. Uh-huh. Yes. It's like, what can you even say? Like, you have to get over the, the, the gender... The weird gender stuff, and then the weird racism stuff but that's all the gerudo have <laughs> it's all they have. and there's like something beneath that i guess but i really there Nintendo's is not equipped to write about the gerudo i i am willing to say that there are probably people inside that company who could write something the about a people society. in charge of this yeah are not equipped to write about this clearly but yes it is all i as Instead of trying to find a canonical explanation for instead of trying to fit this shit into the Book of Medora, instead of trying to do a revised, accursed timeline that mentions this shit, I'm just going to say this is nonsense and quietly push it aside and not think about it. There are only a few places where the Gerudo have timeline implications. God damn it. I want the Gerudo to be good. Sorry. Okay. So, I feel like for now, we can call ourselves mostly done with the desert. Uh-huh. Crystal, are you okay going up to the frigid north? Yeah, let's go up to the frigid north. Should Should we do any of the small towns at all? Like, do we want to do Hateno Village? Do we want to do Terrytown? Do we want to go to Kakariko? Do we want to do Kakariko at some point? I feel like we have to go to Kakariko sometime. Yes, and jump in a chasm, even though, why would you jump in a chasm? There's lots of reasons to jump in a chasm. Gloom is emerging from the chasm. I'm sure it's very deadly down there. True. <laughs> but Joshua asked you to because Robbie went down there. Joshua's not allowed down there. and Maybe there's a good reason. She's 11. And Robbie's dead. Robbie's not dead. <laughs> he has to make it home to Cherry. Crystal, what's the next part you would like to talk about? Let's talk about the Rito. Okay. We will talk about the Rito. Would you like to get started on talking about the Rito, what we would experience on our way over there? Or would you like to save that for next episode? Next episode. Let's take emails. Okay. If you'd like to send in questions or theories to the Book of Medora podcast, send them to bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. Once more, bookofmedorapodcast at gmail.com. Now, I have sent both of you this uh, notepad entry. Monica, you'll have it in Google Chat. And Crystal, you have it through the line. I'm sure that you've seen it already. What should our reading order for today be, Crystal? You take the first one. I will? Okay. Um, So, this is coming from Zoo. And this is framed as a little bit of a shitpost theory. It's kind of a long email, so I'll be truncating it a little we bit. We love shitpost theories. We do love shitpost theories. At the core of the shit <laughs> might be a golden poo. Is that like corn? No, like like a Korok golden poo. So it's poo in the middle of poo? A golden one. Monica? I understand what you mean, yeah. Yay! I'm going to read like the email. in the haystack. Uh-huh. This is based off the idea of whether there is one goddess Hylia or multiple in the timeline branches. What if there were three separate versions of Hylia, one per timeline? But because of the things they saw and experienced in their respective timelines, their personalities and interests became out of sync, and they each started to stand more individually, as though they were three gods. Now, 
what Zoo is talking about here is that each timeline for Hylia would result in each, the different Hylias all having very different focuses and values. So in the adult timeline, there needed to be more uh, martial power against Ganon, so they're focused. So she's focused on power. In the child timeline, she becomes focused on wisdom, and in the broken downfall or accursed timelines, she focuses on courage. Suppose the idea that the timeline is a time loop was accurate. As the three timelines breathe their last breath, the three Hylia now reconvene as separate goddesses, as they are unable to be in sync their differences having transformed them into new entities. Now standing in the void of time, they decide to create a new world that will hopefully do things the right way this time, with each Hylia creating land, physical laws, and life. Looking over what they have made, they make two final things when they come together, and pooling all of their power, they create the Triforce and a new iteration of their former self, unified once again. They then depart, depart, entrusting the safety of the Triforce and the people to the new goddess Hylia. So what do we make of the idea that the timeline could be cyclical? I am in favor of a cyclical timeline, but in this narrative, I'm not, I don't understand why they leave. Well, I guess the idea is that they're so exhausted by the creation of the world and the Triforce and a new Hylia that there's simply nothing more for them to do. They can't take a spa day? No. Can't take some R&R? They're cosmic. Or perhaps... If under this theory they were the same person before, they split because of differences. Because of the at, timeline, yeah. Yeah, but at the end of time, they recommune and merge back into one. Okay. What does that mean? The three goddesses depart by becoming Hylia again. Okay, but I think that that really highlights a problem with the basis of this theory. Because if it's a timeline loop, this shit keeps happening over and over in the exact same way every fucking time which means hylia is really bad at making a better version of herself that's right (laughs) well it's also like the it will only loop i don't know if it will only loop once but everything that we've seen so far is encompassed within one iteration of the loop what if it's not because if everything's encompassed within one iteration of the loop it's pretending that we will never see the next loop there's no way to tell what it is but it being a loop implies one of two things one either it's the same every time or two it's different every time and if it's one it just seems like highly is really shitty at her job and if it's two things are different every time that implies that each game could be part of its own separate time loop so you're saying Except that the timeline splits are all in the game. Right, all the timeline splits are still there, but there's different iterations of spirit tracks, you'd say. Sure. I think that's how Metroid works. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. That is pretty close to how Metroid works. I would like to say that reading this theory, I, I don't know if I would put the goddess of power under the adult timeline. Yeah, I would say adult is courage and downfall is power. Yes. Really? Well, the, 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 the reason... Go ahead, Crystal, go ahead. Link creates the adult timeline by beating Ganon, and Zelda creates the child timeline by sending him back, and Ganon creates the downfall timeline by killing Link. Okay. The reasoning that Zoo presented was that these are all elements that Hylia would have wanted to, inv- to invest more of into each timeline. So if somebody with enough strength had been there to stop Ganon when he broke free in the backstory of Wind Waker, or if people could have seen the consequences of throwing 
Ganondorf into the Twilight Realm, or if people did not fall into despair in the Dawnfall timeline. Uh, but I would still say, like the the thing about the adult timeline where Wind Waker is, is that someone of courage was not there. I mean, yeah, fair. Anyway, small thing. I don't know if that really. Yeah, okay, fair enough. But it's a cool theory. It is, it is a neat novel theory. I feel like there may be a section of the timeline theorists nowadays who are coming up with that kind of thing. But I, I, I enjoy listening to it because I've never heard that kind of thing before. Crystal, why don't you go ahead and take this next email? This comes in from friend of the show, Luke. Hey, Medora heads, we got a couple thinkers for you. No idea how far along you've gotten after the first episode didn't even get into anything actually depicted in the game. <laughs> so feel free to sit on these until they're relevant. Number one. The shrines in Breath of the Wild are designed by Hylia to train up the Hero of the Wild to defeat Calamity Ganon. That's why they're puzzles and combat challenges and the like. But the shrines and Tears of the Kingdom are just meant to be storehouses of light that can incrementally cure Link of the gloom that Ganondorf infected him. Why, then, did Zelda slash Rauru slash Mineru hide them? And why do you have to do shit in them to access the light blessings instead of just being handed them? I know why from a gameplay perspective, but why is Zelda making us go through all this shit? Does Zelda slash Hylia just like watching her boyfriend do Zelda gameplay? Is this her version of watching Steve Rogers rip that log apart in Age of Ultron? That was a great moment. We do love an Age of Ultron reference, Luke. Why does Link have to do the shrines? Okay, I... I just want to say at the start, I don't think Hylia designed the shrines in Breath of the Wild. That was the monks. The monks did get the word of Hylia, though. Yeah, they got a vision of what needed to be done, but they each described themselves as having built a yes. shrine. Firmly, This yes. is their trials. Yes. Um, what, 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 what do you think of it, Crystal? Well, you got to protect them so people who... You got to save it for the real hero, you know? Right. You don't just want anyone strolling in and taking that light. You just want, don't want any Zonai, Tom, Dick, or Harry coming in and taking it. I think we did answer this during episode one or two. Probably two, because did we even get to Rowan Sonia by one? No. Okay. Uh, in that Sonia, through her understanding uh, and being a servant of Hylia, convinced Raru about setting up mechanisms in these shrines. Actually, maybe that was the first episode. Maybe. It was pre-Kingdom, but it was still with them together. Right. Okay. Well, no, the Kingdom had been founded, but sure. that was before the game started. Okay. And it was the for- with the foreknowledge that the Shrine would need to accomplish that function. Part of cleansing is imbuing Link with more with the light of that Shrine, but part of it is also honing himself back into working condition. Crystal, do you think that Hylia just likes to watch Link struggle? I think that's part of it, absolutely. I don't think we can discount that. <laughs> that's true. I think it's worth noting that Zelda wasn't involved in this. The shrines had already been constructed um, by the time Zelda appeared in the past. Yes. So she, she didn't do that. Sonya did it. Speaking about Hylia, it does bring to mind a thought that I had that um, we didn't touch upon in the previous episode, which was when Link and Zelda descend and look at the murals at the bottom of the castle and the last couple are buried underneath rock yeah so that we the player if we're not if this is our first Zelda game or first game we're like we just don't know 
And if you're a seasoned player, you're like, gosh darn it. I but, don't have any bombs. <laughs> but to me, within the game, the function of the rocks is to preserve the freedom of choice and autonomy of Zelda. She doesn't know that she's going to choose to become a dragon. She decides that independently. And so God has allowed us free freedom of choice. God. Yeah, Hylia. Free will. You have the freedom to choose what you were fated to do. Yes. Somehow, freedom of will is embedded into something that was preordained or predestined. It is necessary that you freely choose to do this thing. Yes. Or it is meaningless. Yes. Same with all the Link stuff in Skyward Sword. It's not about being free to choose it or not. You have to be the kind of person who would choose to do it. Or it's stripped of worth. Yeah. Yes. And that's pretty nice as a message, I think. Yeah, that's not bad. That's one of... It, 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 talking about this at the end of the Gerudo episode, it's really illustrates the gulf between the nicer parts of Tears of the Kingdom versus the less nice parts of Tears of the Kingdom. Yeah. Luke, question two. Here's a weird one that I keep mulling over. Do we have any actual proof that Demon King Ganondorf is related to the Calamity Ganon? Obviously, our familiarity with the series, their positions as final bosses, and their similar names invites the connection, but I can't recall seeing a single line of dialogue that actually draws a line between the two. The only firm association I can identify is that they both seem to draw on the Blood Moon. And that's not nothing, but alone it doesn't quite feel like enough. It may be that the Calamity wasn't ever summoning monsters with Blood Moon at all, and Zelda was simply conflating the actions of Ganondorf with Calamity Ganon. Before Tears of the Kingdom, I assumed that Calamity Ganon was basically a projection of Ganondorf, the way he could manifest his evil even while in prison deep below Hyrule. That's still certainly possible, and probably what we're meant to assume, but the lack of confirmation in that direction, the lack of even a single character connecting those dots, has me wondering if they're more distinct than that. What does Impa say? Well, if I recall, Impa talk. Oh, forgive me. The history of the royal family of Hyrule is the history of the Calamity Ganon. And when you talk to her after everything in Tears of the Kingdom, she mentions that the Calamity Ganon is essentially separate from the Demon King. He's more important than the Demon King. Sometimes you can have a dream that becomes realer than yourself. I think that I certainly went into the beginning of these episodes with the belief that the Calamity Ganon is the echo of a scream, so to speak that it is born out from the Demon King's power seeping up through the earth like Phantom Ganon in this game. But the more we record and the more we talk about this stuff off uh, mic, both me and Crystal and me and Monica and all three of us together, the more I'm leaning towards the idea that, yeah, actually it reads more and more like they're separate creatures. Sometimes Street Fighter 2 is so good that nobody knows about Street Fighter 1. True. That's true. <laughs> That's true. No one knows Street Fighter because Street Fighter 2 was so good. Smash 64, it's an interesting little curiosity, but Melee is the star of the show. I'll allow it. <laughs> Begrudgingly. And Animal Forest and Animal Crossing. Yes. Animal Crossing didn't really get started until the DS, basically. I guess. Or, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, hmm. 
Hmm. What's your thought on it, Crystal? Yeah, I think the calamity is Phantom Ganon that became a man that became three pigs that then fused together into the calamity. And technically his origin is from the Demon King, but he has grown far beyond the Demon King. The history of the royal family of Hyrule is the history of the Calamity Ganon. Can I be real with you, Crystal? Uh Uh-huh. I think I'm actually drifting away from the idea that Ganondorf Dragmire, later the Calamity, is derived directly from the Demon King. Where did he come from? He was born. How? Well, from Twinrova. But the question of where he came from, I think, should wait until the last episode. Okay. Because it is a timeline question. I think that the thing about the Blood Moon, and the, the thing about when you play Breath of the Wild, and you get to the end, and you, the player, think about it, any one of us, if we didn't know about Tears of the Kingdom, would say, well, the Blood Moon's ended. And now we're at Tears of the Kingdom, and we play through it, and the Blood Moon was still there, and we're like, oh, fuck, the Blood Moon's still there. But Tears of the Kingdom ended, and we, the player, some of us may go, oh, the Blood Moon would have stopped by now. But what if it doesn't? That was one of our assumptions, right? That Ganondorf created the Blood Moon in that sequence where he first transforms into the Demon King. But what if that wasn't the first rise of the Blood Moon? What are you suggesting? That there is a deeper darkness. I guess we could talk about it a little bit now if you want. Um, we can. That's a good, good cutoff point. Just mull on it. Okay, because it, it, I think that it is helpful to have these conversations at least a little bit on mm-hmm. the podcast. Yes, but so, yeah, Crystal, what do you think about that thought? Well, well, I haven't really heard it. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. it. So Thank I, Cameron. I, okay, here's how it is, Crystal. And this is something that mostly comes from going to the end of the game. Now, we've established that the legacy of the Calamity is much vaster and more terrible than the legacy of the Demon King. The Demon King might as well just be a 50-year-old man for whom time hasn't passed at all. But when you find, when you go down to Ganondorf to fight him at the end of the game, and you're descending, you'll notice that the platform where you have the battle against the Demon King's forces is actually like a shelf over a much deeper darkness that plummets down into the very depths of the earth. You're already at the deepest possible place, but there is deeper. There's still deeper. You remember that part, Crystal? Like, it's just darkness down there? Yep. You dive into it, and you actually get a, ah, you weren't supposed to jump down here, you lose a heart thing, Mm -hmm. which is very rare in this game. But when you look underneath the platform... You can see that there's a great number of tree roots reaching down there, and they're not ossified. They're all alive. And there's also gloom or malice. And I now also think that gloom and malice are genuinely different things, and that gloom is actually less powerful than malice, but we'll talk about that actually near the end of it when we talk about more of the differences between the two Ganondorfs. But And when you finish the battle with the armies and the sages stay behind to fight the bosses, or you kill the bosses, depending on whether you awoke all the sages, as you go down, you can hear this heartbeat, right? The chanting from the opening comes back and gets a lot more extreme, and you can hear Ganondorf's heartbeat. And when you look up, I don't know if you remember this part, Chris, but do you remember looking up and seeing all those tree roots that looked like they had gloom flowing through them? Yes. 
So the gloom is flowing not out from Ganondorf, but toward him with the rhythm of a heartbeat. Right. So whatever it is that is, whatever he's bathing in, whatever it is that is restoring him, it's being drawn up out of that deeper darkness. So there's a third villain. I'm not even saying that there's a third villain. I'm saying that there is something deeper and older and more powerful than the Demon King that he was already familiar with when he rose to power. There's a source of darkness. Possibly. I, I'm and, kind of, Go ahead. And Dragmire is just another guy who tapped into that. Very possibly. Or he's a guy who was drawn from the source. Maybe both of them were drawn independently from that source by Twin Rova. That's where he came from? He's a darkness baby? More than just darkness, though, because even the darkness stands opposed to Ganondorf in certain stories. The Sage of Shadows, I know that we work primarily off of the English text, and it is its own distinct canon, and I think that we should mostly adhere to that. But for the sake of context here, the Sage of Shadows in A Link Between Worlds and Ocarina of Time is the Sage of Yami which is darkness, the same word that is inscribed on Ganondorf's sacred stone in, or secret stone in Tears of the Kingdom. We actually went on a fishing quest to investigate the words through a bunch of games. Yes. And that includes Ocarina of Time and also Twilight Princess. And darkness in each of those is Yami, or shadow is also Yami. So those elements that we seem to think of as being innately evil they're not they are from the darkness there's something different about them but they are not necessarily Gendorf aligned whatever that evil is it's not dark it's evil there is something evil beneath the earth or demonic demon can mean more than dark too yes it kind of seems like you're working your way back to demise i'm not is the thing because demise would also okay I guess I'll just drop this part too. Do you remember where Onox and Varan came from? Where did they come from? They were drawn out of the Dark Realm by Twin Rova and bound in their current shapes. Okay. And do you remember where you go, the place where demons live in spirit tracks? Where do they live? The Dark Realm. The Dark Realm. It's underground? It is not. It is a separate reality, but... That's one of the things about tree roots reaching down is that tree roots, the lost woods can connect any reality they feel like. Oh. So, and also in the dark realm, the demon train, which is like the manifestation of a power that predates Maladus's fall, which is a, a, a itself an archetypal primordial shape, just happens to look instead of like Maladus. It looks like Ganon. Notably, also not like Demise. Not like Demise. Demise doesn't actually have much of a chin. This thing is Ganon. So what I'm suggesting here is that what Twin Rova is doing is possibly tapping into that deeper evil, that deeper demonism, making it be born onto the world, and that is Ganon. Ganon is a sort of platonic ideal of evil. Like we mentioned early on, if you're evil enough, you will just become like Ganon. And this allows for different individuals to be like Ganon or even to aspire to the level of Ganon without necessarily being tied to or derived from each other. So Twin Rova's behind it all. Could well be. You think she'll try a third time? 
she's already done it at least three times. With three Onox, t- oh, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, three times. Onox and Varan with the Demon King Ganondorf and with Ganondorf Dragmire. I cannot recall if she's in any other games. Just Majora's Mask. Okay, you checked. Uh, that's just off the top of my head. Now, I'm not suggesting that Ganondorf Dragmire still, like, necessarily doesn't come from the Demon King and isn't like his son or a Phantom Ganon that becomes more real. But at the same time, it's like, he doesn't have to be. The possibility space for something bigger and more terrible exists. And I think that Ganondorf was drawing his demonic... Demon King Ganondorf was drawing his power from beneath the earth. That's something. It's not nothing. That's where demons come from, traditionally. Yeah, I guess that's it. It's just, it's not nothing. I agree. It's not nothing. Luke's third question. Cameron suggested that the inverse topography of the depths might be because of the way the Zonai mined it out. And I think that whatever's going on that there down there has to be a bit stranger than that. Because that explanation doesn't account for why the space between every body of water, even small, waist-deep ponds, is 100% solid rock. Whoever made the depths, it mirrors the surface world so perfectly that it seems like it must have been their primary intent. Because of that, it seems like the motivations behind its creation had to be something more than purely wanting to mine it out. I guess this isn't really a question. I think Luke's right here, though. Now, there is an uh, assumption in this question, which is that the depths were modeled after the surface. But it could also be that the surface was modeled after the the depths. Yes. I do like the image that he provides, though, because there's a possibility that at some point the Zonai are like, okay, let's go mining. And they go to mine and they discover that beneath this land there is something else. And they go, that's the other half of what I wanted to talk about in the final battle, is that the Zonai structures go all the way down to where Gandorf is resting, to the very precipice of that darkness. And I wonder if the Zonai finding what was down there is what made them leave the world behind. If you did encounter Gandorf anywhere, you would fuck the fuck off. That's the Twilight principle. What do you think, Crystal? Do you think that... There's something deeper and scarier in the depths that that could have some indication of why it seems to mirror the world above. To me, it seems a lot like the Dark World. I thought you might use that phrasing, and I'm really happy that you did, because it feels that way to me, too. Can you expand on that? Well, that's the only other case of something being a perfect mirror of another world, is the Dark World, which is accessed... You access a low rule through rock. You access Termina underground. You access the Dark World through magic. But the Dark World is the Sacred Realm, corrupted by Ganon. So does that mean the Zonai lived in the Sacred Realm? Or that they tried to mine it, perhaps? What's your take on it, Crystal? What's your take on it, Monica? Somebody talk. I was just thinking that the depths are accessible through the chasms and wells that function like chasms. Chasms, sorry. That H there, man. Uh, but really, are they? Is are the depths below Hyrule? You're oh. suggesting they're not actually physically connected. Yes, that when you go down the chasm, you are like Alice going down the rabbit hole, but it's not. 
just a hole. Like passing into Termina by falling. Yes. The chasms as portals broken open by the upheaval. They to the s- demon realm. They sealed Ganondorf in another world? That could work. The edge of the dark realm? What do you think of that, Crystal? The chasms as portals and this underworld as the dark realm, or at least on its outskirts. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. I just know in this... I, I, I'm willing to believe it's not a strictly physical relationship. There's something magical going on here. If we were to take a large bomb and blast the surface of Hyrule, I think each of us would agree there would somehow be a giant crater in the depths, too. Now, hold on, actually. Mount Hebra has one side with a huge gouge dug out of it. Mm-hmm. Is that gouge still there in Tears of the Kingdom? I couldn't find it. Because if it's still there, and that's not reflected in the underground... Well, you could also check the Twin Peaks. How is that in the depths? I guess we'd better check. Because what if, what if all that stuff... Because if it's not in the underground, if the changes that took place in the known past aren't reflected in the topography of the underworld, that means that it was created in the long before, like way before the Zona. Like it crystallized in form. Like they came into being at the same time, and they are hard reflections of each other. Your idea, does that mean that Ganondorf's upheaval tore holes between realities? I guess so. I was just mauling on it loosely, so my brain goes to weird places. I mean, it makes sense. Any last thoughts on that, Crystal? I'm trying to look at the map. The thing is, the water does not exactly line up. It mostly lines up. Water is the first thing to go all over the place. The first thing to change. And there are some bodies of water in the depths. They're rare, but they're there. Like the spring. The spring that seems connected to the surface. Does that come from the underworld, too? And what about the people who used to live down there? Yeah, the dueling peaks are split underground. That's interesting. So when were the dueling peaks split? Because they're not Whenever split. they were split, maybe the underground changed automatically. It must have, because that's they were split after Raru's time, because the dueling peaks was a single mountain. Monica, you pointed that out an episode or two ago. Yes. It so must automatically change. Yeah, on the premise, it, it changed. The surface changed, and the depths needed to change with it. Dark world confirmed. Shit. <laughs> So they are definitely magically linked, and they could be separate realities that are connected by the chasms, which are literal and magical portals, doorways into hell, as it were. Okay, well, Luke, I hope that you are uh, satisfied with the degree of conversation that you got out of that, in the interest of of finishing this um, recording at all. I'm going to suggest that we move on to the third email. Do you both agree with this? Yes. Yes. Monica, will you please read the third one? This email is from Tyler. There was a very nice paragraph at the introduction. Thank you, Tyler. Thank Uh, you. To whomever may be reading this, um, and then on to the questions part. uh, Is the white sword of the sky in the Forgotten Temple the actual goddess sword? And if so, does this confirm the existence of a timeline split at the end of Skyward Sword and definitively place Breath of the Wild slash Tears of the Kingdom within the Demise timeline. By extension, would this affect the Accursed Timeline's connection between the Goddess Sword and the Picori Sword? Yes. Yes to both. <laughs> okay. 
You know how all of us had moments where we pointed at the screen and hooted about different um, lore things? Yes. This was the one for me. Remind me where the goddess sword is. It is given to you as a special prize for getting the mother goddess statue to stand back up. Right. Okay. It is bequeathed to you by the mother goddess statue from which all other goddess statues are made. And I pointed at this and hooted because that is the goddess sword. Yes. Which means that... The idea that the goddess sword was preserved by a split timeline in the accursed timeline theory is now canon to Tears of the Kingdom. They made part of the accursed timeline real. Yes. Realer than their own timeline. It's realer than the downfall timeline. Crystal, they made our bullshit real. They made it real. So how does the Picori sword work in this scenario? Well, it can't be the goddess sword, now can it? Guess I've got to come up with something else. But you know what? I'm fucking fine with that. Because the principal idea that a timeline split happened and it created a goddess sword that was never forged into the master sword, it's real now. Fuck. Our our shit is more real than the Hyrule Historia timeline, and I don't need everyone to accept our timeline for that. It's enough for me. I know it on the inside. We did it. You, me, and Monica, we all we, we put that shit together. And you, dear listeners. And it happened. It happened. It happened. That must have boggled, truly boggled, some more timeline-oriented people. I, 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 I was losing my shit. I remember I was pushing Monica so hard to finish that fucking quest. And when she got to the end, I was like, look at that. And she's like, that's the goddess sword. And I said, yeah, what does that mean? And then she went, oh, fuck. They made it real. So, yeah, Tyler, that's, yeah, yeah, answer both. Yeah, we have to figure out something to do for the Picori sword. But, yeah, that's the goddess sword. That's the actual one from the Accursed Timeline. That's the Demise Timeline sword. Woohoo! Two, did Zelda's actions in the past create a new timeline, or is it all within a closed loop? Apparently, the Light Dragon was always in Breath of the Wild's upper sky, along with the second Master Sword in its head. And Ganondorf's initial dialogue confirmed he already knew her before she left the present. But what could have caused things like the geoglyphs to not be visible until the events under Hyrule Castle? Thanks for reading, and now I wish you all the best. Tyler. Tyler Atwater. Yes. Cool. Really cool name. Yeah, it's a cool ass name. Uh... Crystal, why didn't the geoglyphs appear? Uh, the, uh, the upheaval needed to happen. Damn right. That's this game's answer. The upheaval happened. A wizard did it. Literally, a wizard. <laughs> and it's not a new timeline. This was all predestined. Yeah. Yeah, I think unlike Skyward Sword, this is actually a neat closed loop. Yeah, this is genuinely a closed loop timeline. They learned their lesson from Skyward Sword. They gave us the goddess sword to be like, here, this is your present for us fucking up our closed time loop last time. And uh, here's an actual closed time loop. I like that the upheaval just gives us an ability to go, the wizard did it. So, where did the Picori blade come from? Where did the, I mean, the Picori made it. I guess, yeah, I guess just the Picori made it. Yeah. And they, the idea that it's made in conjunction with the Zelda of that timeline. Who still is Hylia. Wo- who yeah. is Hylia still works to me. It's still a super powerful magical blade that works on unspeakable evil. So it's just like they're really good weaponsmiths. They make cool magical items. Hylia is helping them out. We, we can finagle it. It's good that the Picori blade does not show up in Tears of the Kingdom, because that would really mess us up. 
Yes, it would it would fuck us up something fierce. Like if the four sword, the four you, sword. you can't pick up the four sword though because you would turn into four guys. That's great. Also, the four sword is specifically destroyed by Ganon. At That's least right. one time. It's the only way Ganon can be free. What if Ganon breaks out of the four sword in Breath of the Wild three, and then we <laughs> that'd be good. It would be good, but then we also wouldn't know how. Then how do we lead from Four Sword Adventures into Link to the Past? We have so many questions now. But I like that idea. I actually relish the idea that Nintendo could fuck up our timelines because that means oh, yeah. we get to make up more timelines. Yes. Crystal, would you go ahead and take this fourth one? From friend of the show, Emily. Hey, Book of Medora. I'm writing this because in a recent mailbag, you had a question about Hyrule being Earth. It involved constellations, and all of you agreed that Hyrule was not on Earth. This surprised me as Crystal insists and is factually correct that Link is a Christian in at least some of the games. Cameron insists that Jesus doesn't exist in the world of Hyrule, but he would if it took place on Earth. Perhaps after some kind of apocalypse? Now, just so everyone knows, the subject line of this email was, Hyrule is Earth because Jesus. Now, the, the, the name, the proper noun, Jesus does not appear in the text anywhere. That is correct. True. We know that there is that art of Link praying before the Virgin Mary and the crucifix. And the magic book was originally the Bible. Yes. But that that could all be a different religion, the not on earth, that shares elements with our Christianity. A kind of carcinization. I mean, the, the Virgin Mary statue, I guess, could just be the goddess Hylia. And there's also, what about Link crossing himself when he prays from the Book of Medora? Actually, is the Book of Medora a Bible? I feel like originally, Crystal, I feel like originally the Book of Medora might have been a Bible. You sure about that? No, I'm not sure, but I mean, like, it wouldn't be in the text because they changed it. This is the Three Goddesses story, the Triforce of the Gods. But in the same way that I feel like Link to the Past was originally... Like, it was changed at some point to be about the Triforce of the Gods, the Golden Gods, because there's still Christian elements in it. I wonder if the Book of Medora used to be a Bible. Hmm. But it's not really a a religious object. That's true. It's a scholarly object. Okay. Maybe maybe you're right. Okay. I mean, a magic book is a scholarly object, and a Bible is a magic book. This is like a dictionary. Huh. Okay. But... Somebody tell me if I'm reading this correctly. Emily is suggesting that Tears of the Kingdom's past is a post-post-post-apocalypse. Wait, would that make it post-rapture? That's right. Or is Jesus just really taking his time on coming back? I mean, in this world, there's no promise of such a thing. We can only talk about the things that we see in the text. So we still hold that this probably isn't Earth. Yeah, I don't see why it would be Earth. It's a planet kind of closest to Earth, so Orion's in the sky at points, but it's not Earth. Emily, I know you're listening to this. I just want to let you know that if your intent was to make me groan aloud in agony, I'm sorry you didn't get to hear it, but it did happen when I was prepping the emails for this episode. He has a very tortured look on his face. It just keeps happening. Um, Okay. So I'm I'm going to go I'm going to run away from Jesus and I'm going to read this last email. This is coming from Jimmy. Not a question, but when I play Tears of the Kingdom and reach the tablet talking about the creation of the shrines, I just had to write out my thoughts in the form of a comic script and send it to a friend. Thought you might enjoy it. 
Panel 1. Image of a Hylian running from monsters. Panel 2. Raru. If only there was a way I could save my people from monsters. Panel 3. Raru. I know. I'll make shrines people can go to and be blessed by the light that seals away the darkness. That way they can protect themselves. Panel 4. Image of a Hylian running away from constructs in a giant rolling stone ball. I guess that's a four coma. Bonus panel. Zelda. Did you have to make them death trap? Raru. Yes. Yes. That is how. Yes, that's yes. accurate. Yeah, absolutely. That's what happens. That is what happened. The endless frustrations you have with each other and the lore slash continuity is very entertaining. Thanks for the wonderful pod and discussions about Zelda lore, Jimmy. Thanks, Jimmy. And that is accurate. Yes. True. I think we could also flip the characters and it could be a conversation between Sonya and Raru. But yeah. yes, the heart of this conversation. Very, very, very true. Yes. I guess it could also be Raru saying like, I'll set this up and then Sonya builds it full of death traps. It's like, I don't know that we need the death. Shut up. Something like that. Or just Ara Ara. <laughs> it's just a massive word bubble with just Ara Ara in it. And so, Crystal, Monica... It is my pleasure to announce that with that, we have reached the end of the recording of our 100th session together. What? Yes. This That's was, right. Episode 100. This is, in truth, the 100th episode of the Book of Medora. Oh, my goodness. Monica didn't read the title of the notepad, so she had no idea. Yeah, I don't read titles. So, Yes. Over the course of the past six years, we've been together for 100 episodes, and it's really been a pleasure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really, it's Crystal and Cameron. I, I'm only, I'm at like 40, maybe. 40? I don't know. I think it's more, more than 40. I, I did drag more things like out. 90. <laughs> you're, 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 you're pretty far along. You showed up in the Oracle games, and we didn't have a ton of mailbags before that. Okay. Well, yes, but kudos to you, too. Wow. Crystal, I wanted to thank you for the suggestion of this project and for getting it off the ground. It has been a lot of fun, and I hope that we still have a lot more left in us. I hope so, too. Here's to 100 more. I don't know about that, but we'll see. We can try. God damn it, we can try. Crystal, where can we find you online? You can find me at Arcane Crystal on Twitter and on Patreon at Arcane Crystal, where you can listen to this one week early. You can find me on the Eidolon Playtest Actual Play Podcast, where I play the Detective Prince and uh, their Eidolon, who's also the Detective Prince, with the ability to perfectly detect shame in the area around them. Shame? Shame. That's strong. That's just heavy. That's right. And is there different degrees of shame? Like, you know, oops, I, I spilled water onto somebody else's book. Versus, like, I crashed a car. Uh, would you feel shame about spilling water? I guess you would, yeah. Not to somebody else's book. And not telling them. Yeah. Yes. Perfectly detect all degrees of shame. And, I, yeah, I would say even the way that shame is physically signaled through the body. Mm. Wow. That's that's an intense power. Eidolon's all about having intense powers. It is. Would you like to hear a Zelda joke? Yes. I would love to hear a Zelda joke. This comes in from thegamer.com. 13 Legend of Zelda puns that are too hilarious for words. Oh, yes. Wait, how can it be too hilarious for words if it's a pun? Number 13. I link, therefore I am. (laughs) That is true. This isn't just the rallying cry of many a Link fan playing on the words link and think. God damn it. (laughs) And it's it's not just a funny saying either. 
It's a title of a real book that tackles both whimsical and serious philosophical questions about all things Zelda. That includes Hyrule, Link himself, and of course, the players themselves. Wait, hold the fuck up. Are we subjected to a marketing scheme here? This is a real- Various authors attempt to answer questions like, how does time work in Link's world? Is the game considered to be art? What is a gamer experience exactly? Of all the Zelda puns on this list, this one is profound enough to have a whole book about it. Oh, for a horrifying moment, I thought it was an actual book, like- I don't know if, Crystal, you were, were frequenting bookshops in the mid-aughts, teens, but there were many, many books which had the Tao of whatever. Like Monica. The- yes. No. Legend of Zelda and Philosophy. Oh, sh- I oh, link, no. therefore I am. It's right there. I found it. No. 4.7 stars on Amazon.com. 4.7 stars on Amazon.com. By 127 ratings? Yeah. It's a self-selecting audience, you know? I gotta... Okay, I'm glad that we have... Do, can, 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 can you spare me and save the other puns for more episodes? Yeah, of course. Okay, thank you, Crystal. Please save the rest of the article, because I feel like reading it out in parts really adds to it. I'm fucking... That, that 84% five-star ratings, that's really high. And maybe the book's good. Maybe the book's good. Maybe we need to buy it and talk about it. No. I feel like I have to. No. There's a whole section just on timelines. No. Oh, my. Okay, well, I'm dying. Good night, everybody. Bye. Goodbye.